Good evening, class. Welcome to Art Eater Podcast number 48. I'm your host, Richmond, and we've got a very special, very spooky session for you all today. I'm coming to you live from a nameless, dark wood that I've been wandering for days. I uh, don't quite remember how I got here. All I know is that I've been catching glimpses of this magnificent white stag, and I just had to follow it. This thing is achingly beautiful, and it's humongous. Standing on all fours, it's, it's taller than a tall man, and yet it moves through the woods without a sound. In the light of the full moon, it looks as if it's glowing, and I just know if I can catch up to it, if I can lay my hands on it, something great will happen. I just know it, but uh, it's just always out of reach. Um, <clears throat> anyway, yeah, we uh, got a great show for you here today, folks. Got a very special guest, and oh, wait, shh, ooh, wait, shh, I, I, I hear something. Well, I am making record time on my fog walk. I'm not even halfway through my coffee yet. Uh, it's just a wonderful night. Well, oh, hey, Richmond, how's it doing? Hey, Sean, fancy, fancy meeting you here. Wait, 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 what are you doing? What are, what are you, what are you doing out here? Uh, you know, I was just playing uh, Metroid Dread, and uh, the difficulty was actually quite scary. So I wanted to really calm myself down, and you know. Uh, went out for just a nice, relaxing fog walk in this unnamed wood. Nice, as you do. Cool. Oh man. Hey, did you did you hear that? Uh, there's a new act raiser. What? Really? Like? Yeah, yeah. Remaking yeah. act, act yeah, raiser. Yeah, yeah. They wow. they remade the, the the first game. Which? What? I, I think I hear something. You hear that? Oh, man, it says I'm supposed to turn on Far Slash Boulevard, but. I'm in the woods, though. Like, man, I really want to play this Capcom vs. SNK 3 beta, but, man, where where is it? Like, what? Oh, hey, yo, what's up, guys? I didn't know you guys were hey. out here. Hey. Hey, yeah. James. James. Whoa, what are you <laughs> doing out here? Oh, man, this is wild. Like, I'm actually trying to find the uh, CVS 3 beta, and uh, I made a wrong turn somewhere. It's something about, like, Far Slash Boulevard, and now I'm in the woods, so I don't know where to go or anything. But, man, what, what brings you guys out here? I, you know, I just uh, had a had a vision of a white stag that would lead me to the promised land, and you know, just found myself out here. <laughs> and my normal, going on my normal fog walk, uh, as you do. Ah, man, have you guys played the the new Melty Blood yet? Ah, uh, you know, I've been meaning to. I, I I haven't didn't didn't buy it yet. It, it looks awesome though. Yeah, yeah. No, me pretty... me neither. I haven't been in a, in an airport, you know, with a laptop recently, so. <laughs> nah, I, 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 I get it. I mean, the bathroom compatibility is a thing. I understand. Oh, wait, hey, hey, hey. Wait, I heard something. Wait, wait, what is that? Yeah, what is that? Oh, hey, dude, that, that totally sounds like it could be the, uh, the, the location test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hearing, like, combo sounds or something, man. Yeah, let's go. Let's go over there and see what's going on. Oh, it's the beta. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Yeah, let's oh, go. Sweet. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, what the? Is that the guy? Oh, that's the guys. Oh, yo, hey, guys, how you guys doing? What are you guys doing out here? <laughs> hey, what's up, AJ? Hey, hey Adam. 
Yo, yo, check it out, right? I've been out here for like eight, nine days just training, and I've got no idea where I even am. I just know it's cold out here, and I've just been hitting this bag. It's been mad. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Great. I'm doing all right. <laughs> good. Awesome, awesome. No, check this out anyway, though. Yeah, I I've been working on some moves, right? So just check this out, right? Check <laughs> oh. Whoa. 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 Wait. My goodness. You guys, what? Wow. Like, you're actually doing, like, special moves? Like, when I'm telling you, man. On, I, man? I, I got that low forward down, man. I'm trying to learn it from you. I'm trying to learn from you, man. But, yeah, I, honestly, <laughs> the, next one on the, the, the next one on the job is the Raging Demon. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm trying to get to. So, yeah, I still don't uh, have the inputs clean yet, but we're working on it, yeah. Definitely. Word, word. Nice. Oh, my gosh. So, I guess what? We're all out here, and I guess we could just, like, you know, like, sit down, I guess, if you guys want to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, let's, yeah, see yeah. Really let's see if we can find a plot convenient place to sit down and start a fire. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, like, I mean, I just broke like about what eight different trees over there, so we could just use those logs and just yeah, sit on there. Yeah, let's get it. All right, All right cool. so I'll come over here. All right, cool. Sounds but good. It's kind of I mean, cold. Uh, I only, I only brought my coffee gear, uh, so I don't know how we're gonna start a fire. Yeah, yeah I don't, I don't, I don't, have, I don't smoke or anything. I don't know. Yeah, and oh, I don't have a stick. I can't build any friction with uh, inputs or anything, so. <laughs> Sean, how did you even heat that coffee up? It's, like, warm. Don't worry about it. Okay, okay. Well, anyway, about this fire, though, I, I actually can do something for us, actually. Just if you guys just move back a little bit. Move, move a bit more. Yeah? Okay. okay. All right, cool, cool. Wait, we should yeah, step back yeah, a bit yeah. more? All right, cool, cool. Yeah, right. Check this out. Check right. this out. All right. Let's see it. Oh, you can... Whoa! Oh, my goodness. Wow. Whoa. Did, did so you learn you that from there? Ken Masters? Listen, I, I I read I read everything. I looked online. I learned how to do a Shoryuken in real life. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh my god. Wow, that was a really well, clean anyway, input though. too. <laughs> yeah. Check it out. So we're nice and toasty, nice and roasted. Mm. Let's uh, move up to the fire, and then yeah, let's uh let's get it started. Oh, oh yeah. Nice. nice and toasty. Now I can finally make some cold brew. Oh yeah, oh yeah, just get out of here. Mm. Cold brew. nothing like a good hot fire and a nice nice cold brew. Put some ice cubes down here. Yeah, I'm honestly not even sure why I didn't do this sooner. Like it's really cold out here and I really should have just made this fire way earlier. Ah, uh, oh, this is nice. Well yeah. hey, so we, we got the whole crew here. Let's uh mm -hmm. Let's 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 uh, let's get the podcast in, huh? Get, yeah, man. let's do it. Get the whole gang here. Yeah. Got the whole gang out here underneath the stars. Yeah, let's get it. I'm here. Yep. And I just happen to have all of the podcast equipment here in my bag with me. Let me just take that out real quick. Don't worry, I got I got microphones for all. You just hand them yep. out here. All right. Thanks. You know, just want to make sure I'm always prepared for a podcast. You know, as you do. Man, that bag never ends, man. It's so big. Where did you get that? Don't worry about it. Oh man! All right, cool. So, wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa! Did you guys, did you guys hear that? It sounds yeah. like there's someone out there. Yo, yeah, that sounds, that sounds scary. What is that? I don't, I've got no clue. It sounds like, I, I don't even know. It's kind of gone now, but I heard some rustling. Never is mind. It, forget is about it. Is it like a white stag? Is, is it a white stag? The stags out here. No, that that thing does not make a sound, dude. I, I yeah, been tracking it for Wait, days. Uh, you saw a stag? Wow. 
Oh my gosh. Man, I don't know, man. That sounds like 6S in the heat knuckle with Potemkin. I'm a little terrified, man. Oh my gosh. Fusion. If Potemkin was out here, that would be a genuine reason to be scared. Oh my god. I'm not mm. trying to get busted tonight, I'll tell you that. Alright. Oh my god, it's right there again. Okay, listen. We have to find out what this noise is. Can you guys hear anything? Like, it's just... Can you guys hear it? It's like... It's like a scuttering around in the back. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, man, I'm getting a little scared, man. I, I can only not jump in, but for so long, man. We need to figure out what that is. I got no I hear it now. Oh. It's getting closer. Oh. Oh my god. <clears throat> holy shit. Oh, holy. Holy. Oh my god. Oh, Whoa. My god. Whoa. Whoa. Oh my god. Hey. Whoa. Wait, wait, guys... wait. I I know you wait. Ragnar. Wait. Ragnarok. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on, what? hang on. I... AJ. Yeah. What what are you doing? Hang on, hang on. Can I sit down at this fire? You have a lovely fire here. Can I sit down? It's yes, it's yeah, it's, sit, it's life man. and death. Sit, sit, it's sit. life and death. Life and okay, sure, 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 okay, sure. Okay, you guys. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Oh, Dude, you okay? Uh, yes, I got coffee. Yes, please, please, please. Hit me up. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, you, you just, 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 listen, you, if I can sit down with you for like a little bit, just keep close to the, keep close to the light, just for a little bit, and maybe in return, I'll offer you some, I don't know, some story or something like that. Would that be, would that be within the range of possibilities? You would help me out big time. Because I, I, I cannot get, go out back there right now. That, would that, that be okay? That is yeah? a perfect, perfect timing. We, we were just oh. about to start podcasting. Yeah, dude. Yeah, podcasting. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Yeah, come on. Right here cool. in the woods? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you'll never it's guess what happened. These days. You'll never guess what happened. We just bumped into each other in complete random fashion. Yeah, but by all means, though, yeah, tell some stories. We'll let you sit with us. Yeah, cool. Oh, all right. That's the only currency I have right now, so <laughs> it, it'll have to do. But it's hey, it's 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 spooky month, right? So it's time for stories. Yeah, is, let's, let's, let's get is. some spooky stories going. Yeah. Okay, let's get That's, into that it. That is one cozy fireplace you've gone here. <laughs> <laughs> It's almost like a bonfire. Thanks for the hospitality. Hey, Sean, 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 can I, can I, can I get a nitro coffee? I can't, can't in the mood. Oh, I was it. already making up a, a French press, but uh, let me see what I got here. I think, I think I have a travel nitro tap, you know. Yep, uh, uh, yep, yeah, yeah, there it is. Uh, did you want foam with that? Oh, yes, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Foam it up like a, like a nice, All right. nice. Oh, that smells All so right. good. Here you go. Ooh. And uh, Ragnar, here's your your coffee. As, oh, uh, thank you so as much. You requested. Um, let cool. me know if anyone else wants coffee. Of course, I also have my espresso uh, travel version, uh, if, if needed. I'll take a Potemkin Buster. That'll work for me. Okay, I think that's. Uh, oh, that's uh, that's got just a little bit of froth milk and then uh, about a little bit of 360 on it. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That I'm, I'm working is on some damn fine coffee, if I have to say. Amazing. Thank you so much. All right, guys. So well, we uh, we're all we have all our beverages now. Yeah. So let's get started. Mm. Okay. Let's so hop got, right in. We got our fire going. A coincidence. Spooky night in the woods. So I thought we would talk about spooky video games. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. 
So, so to start things off, I want to know what was the first uh, time that you got really scared by a video game, like, like, like genuinely, like, you know, freaked out by a game. Mm. Oh, there's so many. There's so many. I want to. Um, I just want to go first, just very, very quickly, just sure. super quickly. Sure. Okay, so um, as I will have mentioned in the past, I absolutely love playing this game, Pokemon Fire Red. And it is a, it's a remake <laughs> of the original of Pokemon, yeah, okay. Pokemon Red. Yep, absolutely. And there is an area within this place called Lavender Town. And it's basically <laughs> it's basically the, a, a city cemetery. And all of the Pokemon in the world, of, of Pokemon itself, that die, they end up, you know, going here. It's where people go to pay respects for, you know, like their own, you know, deceased Pokemon. And all of the mm. trainers, all of the memories that they've had, so many different types of people are, all, are, are always there and they're always paying their respects. Now, there's a place there called Lavender Tower. And you can go in there and you can, obviously, you know, as you climb the tower, as you get higher and higher, you see more and more different kinds of ghost-type Pokemon. But as you actually walk into this place, you see graves and you see actual little like monuments and testaments to different Pokemon and stuff like that. And this place here, it introduced two things to me when I was about like seven. It introduced the concept of like, like pet death, which I'd never had mm. happen in my life before. And it also introduced the concept of like, you know, like haunted like uh, areas within the Pokemon world. Now, if anyone will have played this game, they will know that at the very top of this area, there's like a, there's like a ghost of a, a Pokemon called Marowak, which is um, just a mother Pokemon for a Pokemon called Cubone. And its whole story is that it wears its mother's skull on its head and yeah, it's looking it's really for its lost mother all the time. You will have seen, yeah, you've seen it before. But yeah, like yeah. It's, it's always crying and it howls at the moon and cries because it misses its lost mother. Anyway, I got so freaked out by this uh, concept, by this area, that like whenever I would go there and hear the music, I would be extra just spooked out, extra scared. I would genuinely like, I, I wouldn't like avoid going in there for too long, but like sometimes I would turn the volume down a little bit because the music would be oh. a bit scary. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was literally like seven, <laughs> like seven years old, just being like, okay, this is a little bit creepy, but like I can do it, but it's a little bit creepy. Like, it got to be um very, very uh, memorable per se. And there was one other thing as well. There's a young girl outside of the uh, tower that lives like in the town, I suppose, and she says to you, uh, if you, she asks you if you believe in ghosts or not. Basically, she says, "Hey, like, do you do you believe in ghosts?" And if you answer yes or no, you get different answers depending on what it is you say. But she actually tells you something which is quite chilling. Uh, basically, she says to you that if you sorry if you ask um, so if she asks you and you say no. She says, that white hand on your shoulder, I'm just imagining it. And I was thinking to myself, like, the idea of, like, a ghost being behind me while I'm speaking to this, like, little girl in this haunted, you know, city, very, very freaky, and I've never forgotten about it. It just, when I read that for the first time, I felt like my, do you know the, do you know the phrase when your blood runs cold and you've got, like, a chill mm. that goes over your body? I was just, mm -hmm. like, yeah. paralyzed. In the, for, like, about two seconds, <laughs> I was just like, what? Like, ugh, like... It, yeah, it definitely uh, freaked me out for sure. So that's my little. Now that, that's my little. Now story. that you're explaining this like out loud, I'm thinking like, wow, Nintendo bits put some dark stuff in that. Yeah. A hundred percent. They really do. Yeah. Go game yeah. freak. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, that was oh, a, that's that's, a, that's one of my first ones for sure. Just super super scary. Obviously, it's not the most like horrifying in the world, but again, for seven year old me, listen, I I did not want to see any any ghostly hands on my shoulder or think about the. Uh, the, the pain of a, a Cubo and missing his mama. I just, it was too sad, you know? And it was too scary. The younger you are, the more impressionable you are. Like, yeah. that's, mm -hmm. that's really, that's really true. 
That's I, so true. When I think about my my first experience uh, with the, like where I was personally scared by a video game, that was um, um, the Sacred Armor of Anteria. Nobody will probably know that. That was on hmm. the Amstrad CPC, and it is a game that is that came out in the same year as Metroid on the NES, and oh. um, it um, was um, yeah coincidentally very very similar in design as metroid it was like a side scrolling ah. um kind of open worldish um yeah proto metroidvania before even metroid came out and they came out at the same time they had no correlation with each other and you are also like a person that um gathers up a suit like a like a suit with like power that lets you float and fly through the world and everything oh, wow. um it's a very interesting game. It's, I looked, so, and when I played it, I was five years old. It was on the Amstrad of my brother. Um, and I was unbelievably scared of it. Um, we had only a green monitor, like a green monochrome monitor. Oh, I remember And it that. was so eerie. It was incredibly eerie. Um, I got nightmares from it because my, my mind filled in the blanks. Um, and I cannot even precisely tell you why but this is just a tangent about how impressionable you are when you're young and uh, i completely also forgot about the name of the game and then like just a couple of years back I, I remembered this and i wanted to 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 find this game again and then i really looked through a a list of exclusively amstrad cpc games like every game that was ever made until i found it and i found it and i looked at it and it was it was such a like the image that I had, the memory that I had in my mind, it was almost photorealistic in my memory. And then I <laughs> saw how it really looked, and I was so let down. I mean, it's still a fascinating <laughs> game, but there's really nothing scary. It's just a few <laughs> pixels hopping around. Yeah. So, yeah, back then with five, having not seen anything really scary up until then, it was a very different thing. But that was actually not at all the, the story that I wanted to share. I have a Slightly different one, okay. um, if, if, if you yeah. indulge me. Get into yeah. it, man. Um, Let's go. And that was not not about myself being scared, but scaring someone else for the first time. Oh, okay. And uh, this happened, uh, ladies and gentlemen, around the turn of the millennium. Like, literally. This was two friends of me and I. We would regularly meet to do LAN parties at uh, anyone's place when we could find a parent who would drive us with the computers. Um, and at some point, we got our hands on the first Alien vs. Predator. <laughs> And this game was absolutely genius. It was really one of the most scary games I've ever played. When you played it in single player as a marine, it had like this, this amazing feel of you having this uh, motion detector, you know, typically like in, in Aliens, the movie, when it, yeah. when it beeps as soon as movement is detected. And when you're in there first person, and, um, you only hear a beep and you know there's like ventilation shafts up and down and everywhere around you. And these, the, the xenomorphs, they're like super fast and can crawl on ceilings and walls. And you're basically super underpowered. It really made you, um, yeah, like it really got a shiver down your spine all the time. So what we would do once, one friend of mine and the other, um, we would set this thing up and make the room completely dark. Mm -hmm. Only the monitor lights. Uh, we, it wasn't during the day, but we, we dimmed it all. It was like pitch dark except the monitor lights. And um, then we let 
the, the third friend of ours play this game for the first time in single player. So we didn't play in multiplayer at that time, just him playing it. And he plays the marine campaign and he holds like the, the rifle and, and the uh, motion detector. And you could see that his body was like tensing more and more. You know? His body went down, down, down. Uh, he was like almost glued straight to the screen. You know, you could, could, could hear him breathe. Like, uh, and uh, when we felt like he was on the height of tension, uh, we basically both at the same time just grabbed him from behind and just booed him. You know, like just did a loud oh boo. He, he startled so badly. <laughs> Wow. That he screamed and he ended up shaking and having tears in his eyes after that. And we felt really bad about it, right? We felt really bad. It took like a couple of minutes and then his body started flooding him with endorphins and everything. And then he started getting a laughing fit and everything. We laughed about it afterwards, but we were <laughs> more oh, careful with goodness. pranks like that before. But it was so intense. It was an unforgettable experience. That's, that's amazing. Awesome. Oh my god. Oh my god. You really got him. You really we felt got bad him. about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Probably the most intense prank scare we ever did on anybody or I ever did on anybody. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's that's the power of uh, video games, right? Especially back then when really? um, you know, it, it wasn't like there were like a dozen new games every day on Steam and mobile. It was like you really focused on whatever you were playing. And yeah, like if you're really into a game, like you you you, you inhabit that game, you know? It's it's I, I feel like the scariest games are way scarier than like any movie. So, so well done. There's also the, there's How? also an aspect about it and I don't wanna feel like an mm -hmm. old uh, everything back then was better or something, but um I noticed this trend, especially in triple A games, when you have uh scary games, they're all designed after a certain convention. Like you have a a game like let's say control right um that is that is scary mysterious and everything um but then it has to be uh it has to be completely filled with things like oh you have to have crafting and you have to have a skill tree and you have to have all these things uh, all these uh, banal tasks that keep this that keep you occupied with other things all the time that kind of draw you away from what's actually at the heart of the game and i feel like back in around that time when you know somebody would release Alien vs. Predator, then the idea was, oh, this is a scary game where you're a marine, you only have your gun and your motion sensor, and you're swarmed by aliens. And that was the game. There was no nothing on top of that. It was like just really this purely distilled fear. And I think that is that's also the, the time when games like uh, you know Silent Hill, Resident Evil were like really at their first height and everything you know what because everything is just distilled to what it's supposed to be um yeah, yeah we, i don't know we were uh, me and richmond were talking about this in relation to the silent hill games because like the original ones you're you're not very powerful like you don't get very many weapons like the controls are not easy yeah. like that and to your point there aren't really a whole lot of other tasks to do like it's just you alone against the darkness and then I forgot which game it was, Richmond, but it was one of the Silent Hills. Uh, it was later in, it was like Silent Hill 5 or 6 or Down way later. Probably. Where the, yeah, where the uh, the protagonist is like an ex-soldier or something. And, and they give oh. him, that's like, five. You, that's they give you as the player like a bunch of weapons and assault yeah. rifles. And we were just kind of talking about how like, yeah, I guess, but like it, it really takes a lot of the fear yep. and potential like atmosphere out of it because like you're no longer 
threatened yeah. by these, these nightmares. It was actually an even earlier one. I, I remember this conversation. It was the PSP one where you play a truck driver, and they decided... That's origin. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, mm -hmm. you, you, you got a great memory for this. They, they, they put in a takedown moves, so you had, like, finishing moves that were, like, these uh, QT yeah. quick time events. <laughs> it just felt so out of place for a Silent Hill, you know? Mm -hmm. This aspect I found really cool in Resident Evil 7 because it's technically disempowerment, right? It's it's almost always more uh, horrifying to be somebody who is technically not... Mm. Like, if you put someone in there and they're like uh, a, a Navy SEAL or something, and it's yeah. like, make me make me somebody I can actually relate to, you know? Like, make me, make me somebody who is not able to pick up any firearm and disassemble it in 10 seconds or something. And in Resident Evil 7, you play like just an average Joe uh, most of yep. the time. And you can really also feel that in how he handles the weapon. He, isn't, he can't even do like the, the aim down sides motion or something because he's, he's not, he's just a person who maybe we've seen in a couple of video games or, or movies how to handle a weapon. Um, but then later in the game, you play as his wife, and his wife, like, you, he didn't know that before, but turns out that she's actually somebody who was trained in, like, uh, martial arts and weapon handling and everything. And, and she's equipped with much better weaponry, and she actually wields it faster. Like, you can feel it in the mechanics that she's somebody who's more adept at handling firearms. And I found that really cool because uh, they, these games all often have the curve that you start disempowered and then over time you get better and eventually you get like a little bit of like this feeling of this rush of overcoming everything and a certain power surge at the end. Absolutely. Uh, found that really well paced, honestly. Yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah. Just, to, just to shout out another game that does disempowerment very well, uh, Amnesia the Dark Descent. Like just very, very good yeah. in terms of making sure that you feel, you know, helpless and very weak, especially in terms of how it is that you traverse, how it is that you quite literally perceive the world around you in a sense, just making sure that you are confused at so many moments in time, that you feel the pressure of not just time against you, but when you're being chased like through those hallways or through the water, just like the murky, eerie sort of like, sort of even um, the swirling sort of darkness of like the water or like the mist and the fog around you and everything, like it feels as though it's very very claustrophobic and i think that that also kind of plays into the disempowerment as well just the fact that like the space that you're in the design of the level in and of itself and how it is that you are you know you're being you're being pushed around and shoved from room to room to room you're not making those decisions in a in as confident a manner as you would in a regular fps do you know what i mean like you're being very much shoved and pulled and tugged around another game that does this very well uh, outlast the original um yeah. just being absolutely chased and being shoved through tiny crevices that you have to sort of scurry under as one of the other uh, enemies is, is just about to get you or you know almost holding your own breath as you're hiding in lockers you know what i mean like you're not hunting down those enemies they're hunting you down and you've got to be the one to survive and that's why they're excellent survival uh, horror games so yeah they're also that. both primer games of the trend of like disempowering you by just not giving you any means to defend yourself. And then, man, there's, there's cropped up a lot of discourse about it, like, is this actually good? And I think it really depends on what, what kind of story you're telling. And for these games, it actually it, it really worked that you, you you just can't defend yourself. You can't punch back, you can't shoot back or anything. You're, you're helpless. And of course, that, that disempowers you. Um, I find it... Uh, almost more impressive sometimes when a game gives you weapons and then makes you even feel more disempowered on top of that. Like, let's say they give you a weapon 
but then you have like three bullets. Does that make you feel better? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the classic survival horror conundrum, like, oh, I have a gun, but do I use it? And then I yeah. end up not using it until the end, and then I'm completely overstacked. <laughs> yeah, that's a big, that's a big shock, problem. It, that's, a, that's a big problem. It's like, um, for example, in... Um, in Dead Space Three, right? Just say the 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 fact that mm, you can, yes. yeah, yeah, the fact that you can build yourself like a specific kind of a gun, have so much ammo, just be so overly well prepared for so many different situations. But and again, that that takes away from that uh, that that fear that it is that you have. That sort of okay, I need to conserve this amount of ammo to do this. But what choice do I mm -hmm. need to make? Am I going to kill this, or am I going to sneak around here and save this? Am I going to preserve this life? Am I going to make sure I can move through this area safely and transition into another place? Or am I going to take a risk and possibly gain something, but also possibly lose? Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's it, all of that rolled into um, rolled into one big problem there. A conundrum, as you said before. Like the but, previous yeah. ones did it perfectly. Exactly, yeah. Well, I was going to ask, this really reminded me, did you, anyone happen to watch or play that recent Blair Witch game they made? I think it was like in 2019 or something. Oh, no. they, yeah, Blue, uh, yeah I, I, heard, I heard it. I heard about it, yeah. yeah. But no, go on. So, so I, I, didn't, I didn't play it myself, but I watched a, a streamer play through it, and it, it actually really struck me. It's one of the things exactly what Ragnar was talking about. You get weapons. I think you're even a police officer or something in the game, but... It was one of those where even just like the atmosphere and like the way that you discover what's going on in the story and that they do a pretty good job throughout the game of making the enemies like very threatening, like they can't hurt you and kill you, but you can't just brute force your way. Like you can't just use your weapon and to the point Ragnar made, you have very limited ammunition. So like you, you basically, like even watching this I could feel as the player, you feel claustrophobic because you only have the light of the things that you have, and then you have very limited bullets, and you also don't know what you're shooting at. So you could easily... Mm -hmm. And the, the game is not like, say, you know, Last of Us has like a dynamic system where if you're getting close to a boss battle, the, the world will start magically giving you resources so that you don't die. <laughs> Blair Witch is not like that. Like, if you wasted your resources, you could go into a, a one of the boss battles and pretty much just have to get lucky. Um... Or like you would have to use your your weapons or your items as distractions. Like it, it really it, it played with you a little bit because like it seemed like it was often giving the player a weapon and then putting them in a situation where that weapon was not actually how they got out of it. And I thought that was really clever. I was actually like I've never been like a huge Blair Witch fan, but I actually thought that game was really really worth taking a look at. So if you all haven't seen or played it, it's much better than people give it credit for. There's also one aspect about it that I think um, adds at least for me personally, to the scare factor massively, um, is that you have a dog and you get scared for the dog. That really works on me. <laughs> give me give me the fear of losing that animal at your side. It makes me ten times more scared as yeah. if I'm losing like a human NPC. I think it's not, not atypical. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, that's so true. It doesn't even have to be a horror game, right? <laughs> exactly, you yeah. Have a dog, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have to have to be a horror game. Um, I mean, it wasn't a dog, but in Red Dead Redemption 2, like, I had a strong, fond feeling towards oh. my horse. And, uh, oh you know, my, yeah. spoilers, yes. there is something that does happen. Uh, and uh, basically at that point in the game, like, I almost stopped playing it because I was just like, that's my horse. Like, Big I don't want to continue. But, I mean, I got through it. But it was still a very emotional 
thing where like because they kind of like tease that something might happen to your horse at a certain point but then something does happen that's completely different and it just yeah like that has a huge impact in terms of like that sort of fear of like i don't want to lose uh my companion you know so no yeah. i, oh, I yeah. totally Absolutely. agree with that yeah I, I... ragnar you just scared me right now i'm just going back through all of the games where you play with like a, a pet or animal companion and being like, no, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yep. Yeah. It's the worst. It, it Go ahead. Oh, it's just the worst. Uh, yeah, flashbacks to, uh, you know, uh, spoiler alert, uh, shadow of the Colossus, right? Everyone knows yeah, that I was just moment, thinking about that, that yes. moment where you, you, it, it's like, you know, that thing is your heart. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and, mm -hmm. and just at that moment, it's yeah. And especially just where it happens in the game. And just, it really put me in that, it, it, in the shoes of that character, because I was like, I am so devastated, but I also just need to kill this thing now. <laughs> like, it, yeah. Now it's personal. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's yeah. one of the things which is great as well, just about the fact that like they can play with those ties that we're able to create, our empathy and what it is that we're able to do with it and how it is that we utilize it. Those bonds that we make, those aren't false. Those aren't fake. Do you know what I mean? Like We're not just looking at a line of code. We're not just looking at a, a mechanic and being like, okay, cool horse exists for me to do this with that with i don't care about horse outside of that no we we care about the horse we care about these characters we care about how it is that we feel and the game and the, obviously the developers they know this and they play on that so yeah i think it's just it's super interesting that we um that we do develop these attachments to you know our companions and partners in life and in and in these games i mean like shout out to agro epona like so many horses in games that we love and that take us from place to place that we don't ever forget about another thing as well just randomly even because you know i'm a giant pokemon nerd stan but i mean like just <laughs> the fact that like in the heart gold soul silver like series of games they brought back the ability to have a Pokemon, you know, following you. They existed like in yellow, but that was just for Pikachu. But I mean, like they had all of the Pokemon that were, you know, available at that time. They could all be a little companion, and they would follow you around and stuff like that. People loved that so much that it was asked for for years and years and years and years afterwards. Like no one would stop talking about it. So it's like again, like uh, a horrible thing happening, like to them, like in world, it, it reflects upon the player and how it is that they feel about, you know, the the game and the world itself. And yeah, they're, they're very heavily tied together, and it's always interesting yeah. when developers uh, play I, upon that. I have such a, a weird example of this, like just to give you an idea of like how how attached I think you to get pets. So um, this isn't a, a good game, but I I played Call of Duty Ghosts, which is oh, yeah. not one of the better Call of Duties. Uh, and I look I look back, I was just thinking about this. And I could not tell you, if you put a gun to my head, what the characters' names are or what the plot is. But I can tell you that Riley the dog, I wanted to make sure he was safe. Because <laughs> you get, like, a German shepherd for, for part of the missions. And I, I, could t I, read off, I didn't have to look that up. I knew his name was Riley. I, I, to be honest, I, don't, I, I think he does survive the events of the game, which is, thank God. He does. But, but uh, it was one of those things where I was like, wow. I can barely remember anything about this game, but immediately my mind was like Riley, the German Shepherd. So I, <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, there's a strong attachment. It's an interesting technique they play in these, the, you know, to have a game do it intentionally, where where they like to what kind of AJ was saying, where they know there's a strong empathetic connection that you form with animals or with companions. Yeah, I mean, think about the Twitter account, Can You Pet the Dog? How incredibly big that got over the years and how heavily this influenced video game development. This Twitter account goes through every game and says, can you pet the dog if there's a dog in there, if you can and if you're not. And ever since that, 
you meet a dog in a game and 19 times out of 20 you will have a pet option no matter what game it is and it's like mm -hmm. yep. History changed for the better. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> With Twitter. Yeah, even in one of the most grisliest of Metal Gear games, Metal Gear Solid Five: Phantom Pains, you can right. pet, you can pet D Dog. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, of course. You yeah. have to pet the dog. You you must like again. All developers out there, we thank you for allowing us it's to pet compulsory. the dog. We need yeah. We mandatory yeah. Absolutely, we must pet these dogs. Must. <laughs> it's and, the same. And to Ragnar's point, it's it's probably not that easy to develop because like there's, there's actually a lot of different types of code that goes into having characters interact on screen so this is a strong push anyway, absolutely sorry, no i was gonna say it's the same reason that uh i always uh rescue the dog from the bear trap in resident evil 4 like i yes. can't mm -hmm. not oh, you just gotta do that you have yeah. to like and then and then a, you, you get something for it yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. The, dog, the dog comes back I and mean, helps you out hey look even, it's that dog like yeah, even if I didn't get that, like, I still would do it, like, every single yeah. time, you know, just because, you know. There's also the flip side of the coin, where, like, it's it's a very common, like, um, narrative method to establish someone being bad, for instance, or someone being the villain, to be, like, the kick the dog moment or the kill the dog moment. So if you have, like, uh, an instance where, like, oh, we establish a character being bad, let them just shoot an animal or something. It works, but it's also extremely cruel in a way. Like it's Absolutely. like the kind of thing that I'm like, nah, this doesn't have to be like. That. It comes across as pretty manipulative too. I think mm -hmm. uh, from a script, like a writing perspective, for sure. Well, it just depends Except on how it's in done. Dojo, right? So yeah, it, it, it so, can. Yeah. That's definitely true. That's definitely true. Things yeah. do not end well for dogs in Georgia. Yeah. Hey. Okay. Uh, I mean, like, I, I just. Really, yeah. Oh, gone. Yeah. Iggy. Go, go. Do you got Richmond? Oh. Um, I just realized, uh, just, just quick tangent, because we love tangents. Um, if if Nintendo wanted to traumatize a generation, they would make a Pokemon oh where your your starter dies. <laughs> that would, oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> that, that would be devastating. Oh, no. That would that would be like Eris <laughs> times like ten for for like millions of kids. It, it, oh my yeah. god! Just the just the idea of that. Like, <laughs> I have like my kid my kid self heart on the inside. Just yeah. Yeah. I had a similar idea not too long ago uh, when I did a video on um, Eternal Darkness. Uh, if anyone of you knows that oh, yeah, wonderful yeah. game that came out for the GameCube. GameCube and game, yeah. Eternal Darkness had like these sanity effects, yeah. you know, like it was like Lovecraftian and your sanity deteriorated. And when that happened, then you would get these incredible like effects like, I don't know, um, your, your screen starts shaking or stuff the way you think you're getting you're going crazy like you get a blue screen but it's a fake blue screen or like suddenly your your it says your your monitor is not plugged in anymore but you still hear the sound that kind of stuff and I said like if Nintendo who owns the rights and has just shelled it like Nintendo does if they would ever do a remake of this on the switch and and they wanted to traumatize a generation they would create a um, a sanity effect in that game where it pretends to go out of your game go into your animal crossing save and start like just removing your villagers from your island oh, oh my god <laughs> <laughs> wow. absolutely heinous that's true psychological what, what we're uncovering here is we're just one creative director away from nintendo ruining a generation of children <laughs> <laughs> just Full horror, full full horror. Yeah. 
you know what that uh, Ragnar that reminded me of? I'm sure everyone was thinking it, but I, I got to mention it, which is the uh, the Psychomantis. Um, oh, yeah. I was going to mention that in, next. In the um, original Metal Gear Solid, or not original, sorry, the PS1 Metal Gear Solid. Interestingly, um, this was the big inspiration for the mechanics in that game, like openly stated. And then uh, Hideo Kojima was actually so um, happy, well, like in, in love with the game and with the um, developers that these developers later ended up doing uh, the Twin Snakes, like the um, the remaster of the first Metal Gear Solid. Oh, they were nice. the ones who programmed it. Then, I so didn't know that. Oh, it was full circle. Wow. <laughs> Did not know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Super cool. One of the I wanted to real, real oh sorry, go ahead, go ahead, AJ. Uh, I was, I was going to get into this very, very quickly, just super briefly. But I mean, um, one of the coolest things about that, because you mentioned about like creative directors and stuff like that, I love the fact that like people are able to bring law from games, or bring not only just law, but like the sentiment about how it is that the law works from games, and make that a reality. So, for example, I'm a big fan of like ARGs. I'm a big fan of people, you know, breaking the fourth wall. I'm a, I'm a big fan of all of that type of stuff. And one of the things which I always loved that did that very well <clears throat> was, again, one of the biggest uh, unfortunate big sigh, big cry, big sad moments in games recently, PT, Silent Hills, right? Like, just yeah, the fact that, like, the way in which that was, like, introduced to the world and how it is that the team were working on this thing but pretended to be another team and, like, oh, is this game even real? Is it, like, a... It, it felt like a... It felt like a real-life, like, urban legend at the start. I remember being on the internet and being you know very much into all of this and just trying to figure out what was going on just for days and days and multiple nights i would spend scouring different um forums and stuff trying to figure out hey who is working on this and who is you know who's behind this because it was this enigma it was this mystery it was this very scary very creepy almost as if the game was like you know talking back to you in a sense or the idea of the game was talking back to you in a sense all of this happening and then obviously it being revealed the way in which it was and stuff yeah i think it was just a perfect fusion as john was saying before like of a of a creative mind of a director's creative mind and and the the sentiment which horror brings forth do you know what i mean that kind of that unsureness that that really strange confusion i have to say and the only game that i'm aware of that got scarier as it was uh uncovered like as coders True. and hackers dove into the the code and figured mm -hmm. out its secrets i i really do i feel like it got scarier the more I, like every time there was an article where there was like a hacker discovered this thing in the pt code i was like oh that's horrifying mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> it's even more horrifying than i, yeah. I thought the first time yeah the fact that urban um, legend that is a really good the... work oh go ahead Oh, I just said like you, you mentioned it feeling like an urban legend and it's a really good description for what for the phenomenon of PT. In many ways I often think like you know, it's it's so sad that the Silent Hills never came out and people are always like, Oh no, why did this never happen? But in some ways I feel also like it's also the best thing that could have happened to PT because if then in the end a game would have come out, that game would have had a lot of a lot of room to fall. Mm. very deep down or to disappoint you know because a teaser like that gives people impossible expectations similar to death stranding how it ended up creating impossible like unlimited expectations and then expectations will be let down and with pt i often feel like it dying was the best thing historically that could have happened to it because now this is preserved as this perfect unscathed uh, urban legend that will forever remain in our hearts and, and never be tainted by something that is 
not as good as people expect it to be. I agree. I agree. I'd like to relate it, actually. Uh, a couple episodes ago, um, Richmond was, we were talking about this game, uh, Adios, that Richmond uh, brought up. Oh, yes. It, and it, the, what you're talking about like really hits that same nerve that I think you're going for, which is that Adios did it intentionally, but th this idea that something can be a smaller scope, very self-contained, strong, atmospheric, character, like, like really well-driven story. And to your point that like too much freedom or too much time or too much money or too much scope actually takes away from it more and more. And like I feel the reason I, I, I compare it to, to Adios is that it's a very tight experience. There's not, a, there's a not wonderful too much fle flexibility. And I think you're right. I think maybe PT inadvertently created that for itself. Uh, kind of like where you have a show that you like and then it ends really strong. It wraps up its narrative. And then, of course, the business of that decides to start creating sequels where none mm. were intended. I actually exactly. think that uh, while we're talking about spooky things, I think this is a real strength of the a lot of the Michael Flanagan uh, films and TV shows that are out right now, like Haunting of Hill House. Self-contained, yeah. I'm literally uh, watching them right now. Yeah, the uh, Midnight oh. Mass one that just came out. Uh, again, like, n no, no spoilers for those things, but I think you can tell as a director and a, cr a creative, people like him, he's he's clearly not very interested in cashing in on the thing he made. He's told a grounded, character-driven, self-driven, like, self-contained story. It doesn't always wrap up everything at the end, but it ends, and then he moves on. And there's something about, like, I think to your, your point, right, there's something quality about that style where it's not ambitious in its scope, it's ambitious in its quality. And I, I think that is something that is missing less and less from AAA titles and why we start gravitating back toward um, more independent ones that just are much, much happier to get wrapped up in their own deep story and not try to tell some epic, expansive thing that... Now, indie is really where the horror is at these days um and then you have some some good examples like resident evil or yeah generally has been very very good in recent years but other than that it's mostly indie where it's at because indie just does not adhere to these conventions so much like if, if you have a horror game you can make that scary for like eight to twelve hours maybe a little more if you if you're really lucky but if you have a something that is like 30, 40 hours long, then it isn't scary anymore. It's just getting <laughs> annoying. <you know? laughs> so, yeah. Well, I also feel like, uh, and this, I had this with even uh, the film, uh, the Omega Man film, I can't remember the name, the actual name that Will Smith was in, but uh, the point being is that a, a crux of that story has to do with, like, that, that humanity has kind of turned into these um, nighttime kind of, you know, vampiric style. Oh, I am Legend? And I... Yeah, I am legend. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, and that was what also had a dog, by the way. Of course. <laughs> yeah. But but that was something. At Richmond, we may have even talked about this on a way, like not on a podcast, just like as friends. But I, I remember thinking that the beginning of the movie was so strong because of how mysterious and how unknown the the, the monster really was. Um, and I, I think I've even heard the, the the thought that once the dog dies, that's the turning point where the film starts getting bad. We're and talking about the, the remake with Will Smith, right? Yeah, 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 correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, the, the, I think Omega Man is still pretty good by itself. But this is one where, like, I, I really felt very divided because, like, by the end of the film, I really didn't like it. But I was like, man, it was going so well until they showed us what, the, you know, mm -hmm. the horror was. Until, until they, they allowed us to see and understand and, like, starting added human characteristics back to the monster. 
And also they, they killed off the dog, which of course is the, you know, n never never really okay. Never. It's the opposite no. of the dog. Uh, so to your, to your point, very manipulative, but it was one of those things where I really felt that a lot of things sometimes do that. Like, same thing with like Cloverfield. Like, as soon as they reveal yes. stuff to you and the mystery is dropped, it, it really hurts the ability for them to deliver horror because there's no fear, right? I was just going to mention Cloverfield. Yeah, I remember watching the trailer for that movie as a kid and just being scared out of my pants, just being absolutely enraptured by this thing. And then you watch it, and it is good, but it's just like, it's exactly what you just said there. Like, the way in which things are kind of like revealed, they sort of, yeah, they, they change um, they change the, the fear that you initially had, do you know what I mean? And it, yeah, it, it's, not, um, it's, it's not what you thought it would be. Okay. I always say the, the mind is a much better canvas for fear than anything you can draw out and spell yeah. out or put right in front of anybody's face. And I think that's something that was uh, that 10 Cloverfield Lane really understood. Because that film was like, uh, there was barely any reveal, just a little bit at, like, a little bit at the end, but it kept gaslighting you into believing, not believing, what's real, what's not real, who, who is right. Um, and I think it really understood what the original Cloverfield kind of um, futzed up in a way, you know, mm. like by just showing too much. And it may, I mean, back then the, the CGI also wasn't amazing and the, the yeah. monsters kind of looked like Half-Life uh, Half-Life monsters. So it, it was a little bit disillusioning. Oh, they did. <laughs> I didn't think of that. You're right. <laughs> the Vortigon kind of look. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. I just have a fun fact about that film. We were talking about how, like, studio meddling kind of messes with artistry of stuff. Like, that, that whole movie is about, like, oh, you know, what is this thing, right? And then it builds up to the reveal. But um, they also made a toy of the monster. <laughs> it came out, like, before the movie. Oh. And it, this was fortunately before social media. But for a lot of people, like, that, yeah, it's like that, that spoiled it for them. <laughs> they, they had to release oh, the merch. And they was like, oh, well, there it is, you know? <laughs> This is not horror related, but it also reminds me. Did y'all know that they released a, like a Lego Star Wars movie ahead of the new Star Wars movies? <laughs> that spoiled the plot of the new Star Wars movies. Oh yeah. Oh no way. I, I read about that the other day. I just I just Brilliant. thought it was funny. I was like, wow, wow. that's that's an extra layer, but that's, that's funny. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, hey, um, oh. James, James, I need to yeah. know. What is the first video game that, that scared the pants off you? Oh man, let's let's turn the Elder Scrolls back. Let's, okay. let's go back to uh, the time of, of early Nintendo. Uh, for me, the first time a video game actually really scared me was Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, now I, I I know most people can say, hey, well, LGN distributed it. That's already terrifying. However. A fun fact about this game is it actually was an Atlas game. Atlas actually developed the Friday the 13th game. What? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I didn't learn this until, like, much, much later. But uh, one, of, one of the things about this game was I didn't own it. I didn't buy it because I was terrified of anything Friday the 13th, Jason-related. Just hearing that ch -ch -ch sound, like, freaked me out. <laughs> like, like, whether it was on the movie or anything. Just the idea of someone, like hinting at it for me was terrifying but my cousin actually had the game and was playing it and uh you know that was like the one tv in the house so it was just like well i mean ah, i guess i'm gonna sit here and i'm gonna see what this game is about and it was just the logo being on the screen 
like, that was already like, okay, it's Friday the 13th. It can't be as bad as the movie, right? It can't be as bad as how I feel watching the movie. But this is also super impressionable seven, eight-year-old James, right? <laughs> so, like, I, I had no idea what I was getting into. So he starts to play the game. And there's this theme that you hear throughout the game. Because I think the game only has, like, maybe, like, five or six tracks in it. But there's something about the monotonous 8-bit drone of this game combined with the color choices, the limited palette that Nintendo actually has that was extremely terrifying to me. And it was sort of like something that sort of encroached over me over the extended period of time that I watched him play it. I did not play this game. I literally watched someone else play, and I was probably more terrified than they were. Um... And what's weird is that there's moments in the game where I think there's like a night music theme and then there's like a daytime music theme. The daytime music theme is supposed to be upbeat and cheery. Uh, they got that wrong. It is just <laughs> as scary as the nighttime theme. But what really got me was the way the game sort of hinted that Jason was coming. Um, like the game sort of like stopped, like the music stopped, I think I remember. And then there was like a color shift and you knew that Jason was, like, walking around. But the game, I think it had, like, a... When you went into a house, it had, like, a uh, isometric... Like, like a FPS sort of uh, camera. But it was obviously limited. But the thing is, the limited animation actually made it scarier when he showed up. Because he didn't just walk in. He would just appear. Like, in one frame. He would just be in front of you. And you would have to fight him. And in... Even though that game gave you weapons over time, when you first start out, I think you have, like, rocks or something. Like, like there's not much that you can really do. And there was just something about that game that, despite the limited color palette and the fact that it doesn't look as scary as you think it does, but as a child, I mean, you're super impressionable. So anything with a hockey mask on that had a knife, that was Jason. Anything <laughs> that looked creepy, like, enough just in terms of implication, was enough to send me, like into the world of having nightmares and you know my cousin sat there and played it and was not terrified at all and meanwhile i'm trying to hide that i'm scared from my cousin because he's just playing this game like his mario brothers and i'm sitting there like no i'm not scared oh man it's cool yeah it's cool you know it's cool and then he's like well we're get, we, we, we ate dinner and he's like, i'm gonna play it again and i was like okay now it's dark outside now it's dark in the room so the only glow that you're getting source of light is from the game itself and it made it that much, like, scarier to me. And I just remember leaving that house and being so terrified. Like, I did not sleep that night. Like, I was so scared oh, of, like, 8-bit eight, Jason. But, yeah, that was, like, the first game that, like, really creeps me out. And there's something about, like, the weird pastel color choices on certain yes. things. Like, uh, they yeah. use, like, pastel colors on, like, Jason's mask. Because uh, his mask wasn't, like, white and dirty. Like, it was, like, a, a weird sort of, like depressive like turquoise pastel color and Dude. something about that yeah oh, it was like man. a van gogh painting right yeah, yeah like there's something about it that that struck a chord with me that like visually it really creeped me out like the entire color choice in that game really scared me i think the only thing that i've seen in recent years that's like similar but is a more desaturated palette is a uh, kyofu no uh it's like i the like i think it's called world world horror world of horror a oh, world um, of horror yeah, I've, I've seen this yeah, yeah of course, like of that course, game yeah. that game has like a similar color palette and it gives me this weird queasy uneasy feeling similar to what uh yeah. you know jason like friday the 13th did but 
Yeah, that game is is creepy. And I mean, the box art and the the actual colors on the box are actually very like vibrant and like really kind of like fun and festive. But like at the same time, like they're <laughs> still like super scary. But yeah, that was that was the game for me that was like, oh my god, games can terrify you. Like, ugh. dude, you just took me back in time. That that was also my. <laughs> That was my oh, really? first game that freaked me out, too. A very similar experience. I, I didn't have it, but wow. my, my neighbor had it. And, dude, I, um, the colors. I, I, that's what I remember. I, I didn't actually look up the game ahead of time. I, I just wanted to you know, go back in my mind. Uh, but I remember the colors really freaking me out. Like, just somehow that, that weird uh, blue. What are the odds? Yeah. Hmm. Um, and I remember, like, Jason just... He would just suddenly appear, and that—that was like the original jump scare, in, in yeah. like a survival horror game for me. And I, dude, do you remember? Um, I, I, I don't know if I'm just making this up, but like I, I think his mother is in the game, and I think no, she's Medusa's just like a floating game. head, right? Yeah. Was, was she was just like a? I don't, it, it felt like satanic or something. Just, oh no, yeah. she it was felt actually like super than him. Like, yeah, I yeah, remember yeah. there was like people talking about like how to get to her, and like. You know, one of my other cousins, you know, loved this game and was like, yeah, man, we're going to do it. And by that time, I was a little bit older, so it was okay. I wasn't as terrified, but, like, the moment that I saw her, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to leave the room. This is too much. <laughs> like, even even with me being a little bit older, I was like, yeah, I can't deal with, uh, with this. But, yeah, just even stuff like, it's weird. Like, even to this day, like, if I see an image of the Crystal Lake map, it takes me back to that feeling of, like, oh, my God, like... Uh, and it's something about like the limited camera and everything looking the same. You feel lost and confused, even though you have a map. You know, like even though you have mm-hmm. something that's supposed to guide you through the game, you still feel lost. You still feel, uh, you know, confused. And you know that interesting uh, color palette that that game has, man. It does something. Like it just that, and then like the monotonous drone of the eight-bit sounds on top of it, like. Of creates like a very uneasy feeling and i think when you beat this game uh it tells you uh that you know you finally defeated jason but is he really dead and then the game is like we're not telling you <laughs> and it just says the end and you're just like really like you know that's enough for for an impressionable child to look over their shoulder with yeah. a controller in their hand you yeah, know yeah, <laughs> a little kid yeah <laughs> like that's, absolutely that's, yeah but but that game like for as limited as it was like the experience that I had with it was like super, super terrifying. Um, so yeah, that one ranks up at the top. And I mean, this is somebody who's played Outlast, played you know Resident Evil, and it's like, no, this was the game. I, I gotta get, I gotta get into one just because you know I'm, I'm a, I'm a pixel artist, I'm a pixel boy. But uh, I've got to mention this. I kind of did a little bit earlier, but splatterhouse again i just have to get oh, into this in terms right, of yeah. like character designs and yeah. like animations and like horror and just just the grotesqueness of it just how gross so many of these different like you know like areas looked for example you had like intestinal looking worms leaping out of these piles of sinew and muscle and bone and flesh and just how gross all of it was not only just that as well but like None of the reds are like massively well not some of them are, but most of the tones for the flesh, they're kind of like this this peachy, orangish, kind of like brownish warmth 
together. Like, they're not always explicitly just, like, red, white, yellow. Do you know what I mean? Like, they've got a very yeah. sort of, a, like, a baked, sort of almost melted version of, a, of, what, of the colours that you'd perceive to be, you know, blood red or, or, or the inside of your body, basically. And that is something that always stuck with me. Always stuck with me. The fact that you can see, you know, the innards of these enemies after you, after you literally, like, beat them against a wall. And <laughs> it would literally um, splatter on the ex walls of the ex house. Ex yeah. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And you would see not only just like that explosion, but like the guts would like actively like explode, and like, they'd kind of drip down on the wall for a little bit. Or, for example, you would have like a larger boss enemy just with all of the veins and all of the different, you know, just arteries just visible and available to be seen and pulsing. And just, for example, even um, I forget the woman's name or the female character who you got to save. But um, I think what in one of the games, like she transforms into like an enemy, and I remember like this animation of her like skin, like just transforming and like hardening and then like falling off, and I'm just like, this is so gross. But like, <laughs> I want to make this. Like, it's so cool. Like, yeah. I want to do that. Like, it's really really interesting just to think about how it is that they've, you know, been able to convey so much with so little and again just like yeah. what it is that james was saying before it it puts you in that space in that realm where you're like okay this is creepy i'm really like scared of this thing like what if this was you know a real thing that i would have to see like in my life like yeah very very creepy type of stuff absolutely for, designs. for me this game is almost like an anti-horror game because like at least i don't know uh, back me up james like after being terrified as a little kid of friday the 13th like suddenly um it, it, it flips it so that now like you're this heroic Jason yes. Voorhees and, and you're really powerful and you're taking on all these horrors. It's almost like a, like like a, a nice, you know, a balm to put on the wound that like is. Friday the thirteenth arsis almost. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's kind of like a it's like a redemption arc balm for for this like game or this genre. Like because I do remember seeing it, and I do remember being initially terrified, but then I was like, I really want Rick to, like, save Jennifer. Like, I want, like, I want him to be okay. Like, and yeah. it sort of empowered me to play the game. Like, weirdly, like, just the idea of them trying to, you know, basically get out of this, like, uh, this haunted, like, uh, I think the West Mansion was, was what it was called. And, like, yeah, like, it did feel different. And I think it's also the fact that you there was some sense of empowerment. There were some tools that... Because, like, for me, when I played, like, Friday the 13th, right? Well, I didn't play it. I kind of watched my, my cousin play it. Um, but it was so visceral, I felt like I played it. The thing about it is that when you're watching it, you know you're playing kids at a camp. You're not playing, yeah. like, mm -hmm. a buff, like, you know, able-bodied like person who looks like they can defend themselves so like just the design of rick made me feel empowered before i hit any button before i did anything it still made me feel like you know what i can get through this whereas in friday the 13th i'm like i'm playing little kids and as each one dies i have to play another one <laughs> like i have to pick you know so it's like with this it's just like no i i did feel i did feel like you know more empowered to sort of like okay like I can, I can get through this. So yeah, weirdly enough, I do agree with you on that. <laughs> oh man, uh, can I can I get some more coffee? Still have some? Uh, what uh, what kind of coffee are you interested in? I got colds. I got nitro. I got French press. French press, please. Uh, yes, of course, of course. 
That's good. Just get my my grinder out here. I really like. Is this is this a swear podcast or a no swear podcast? Oh, we can swear a little bit. Yeah, go for it. That's good fucking coffee. Good fucking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I am pleased. Yeah, I'll take it, another. It hits the spot on a on a cold and, and scary night on. No, for real. In front it of is. a nice and cozy fire. It is cold out here. Like, it really is. <laughs> yeah, matter of fact, um, Sean, um, I'll go ahead and take another protect uh, and buster. You would think after being, you know, hit by one that you, know, you wouldn't want to get hit by it, but you know what? I'm living my life today. I'll, I'll have another one. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of course, of course. Awesome. Let's get at the whole kit here. Yeah, one thing I was going to mention too was, uh, uh, I guess, like another game that. I guess had a specific moment that terrified me, uh, which was uh, Resident Evil Four, and it was one of those. I don't know if anybody has like subcategories of jump scares, but I sort of have like this like lexicon of like mm. certain types of jump scares where there's some where you're you're genuinely scared, and then some where they're obnoxious, and then there's some where you're mad that it actually works. Right. So <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I know exactly what's going on. So so, yeah. so I was playing through uh, Resident Evil Four. I was having a time of my life. Like, I love Leon. I love the campiness of it. It's a great game. I feel like that game could have been released by Platinum like years later, and it would have been just fine. Um, and I was I was toward like the latter half of the game, and I remember walking into what looked like a. Uh, it may have been like an abandoned like like a larger kitchen, like kind of like a, a kitchen that you would see in a restaurant, but I guess it's one that would be in like a bigger, larger house, like an old mansion. And there's this refrigerator that looks like it blends in just fine with like everything else in the background. It didn't stand out in any particular way. And in that very moment, a flaming corpse just like runs out of it. And <laughs> after all of this stuff that I've been through in this game, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? There's nothing that can scare me and startle me. And when that happens, <laughs> like, the controller, like, passionately kissed my carpet floor. And <laughs> I was just, I was so upset. I was like, but why did that scare me? After seeing the big cheese turn into, like, you know, two separate body parts and, like, seeing his legs die, like, after his... Like, all these things, you know, the goopy eye and all that stuff, like, none of that bothered me. But <laughs> that flaming, it's the timing of it, like, that flaming corpse that just comes out of the refrigerator. I was I was upset. Like, I literally was just like, that's the thing that scared me. That's the one thing. And it's just, I will never forget that to this day. Like, even, because I play it on, like, PS4. I've, I've bought it, like, multiple times. And whenever I get to that part, even though I'm not scared anymore and it doesn't scare me anymore, I just remember that first time of that jump scare and being so upset like oh that should not have worked but it did i have to james i have to add my resident evil jump scare story okay because it's very similar to yours except that it takes place in resident evil 2 Ooh. Um, it, was, it was it was it was the first time i was playing it on on a playstation and i'm sure I, I anyone who's played it might have this vividly but this like to your point what, what you were talking about with the experience this is burned into my <laughs> brain and it was one where, like, I felt like I saw it coming. So there's a point where you're in the police station and you go, you have to get something. I forget what the object is. But you go into an interrogation room uh, where it's got one of those, like, mirrored glass things. And I, I, oh. I walked in immediately. I was like, something's going to jump out of that glass. But 
So I walked across the room, back and forth, did a bunch of things, entered the room in and out, and I was like, okay. Okay, Re Resident Evil, uh, you got me. I, I guess nothing is going to happen. Uh, so I was, like, prepared for it, and I was doing everything I could think of. I was like, okay. And for some <laughs> reason, it, it did not occur to me that other things could trigger it. So I was like, okay, I've tested it. I've gone in and out of both rooms. There's definitely nothing going on. There's whatever. I'm ready to go. So, yeah, I finally went into the room and took, like, the quest object you're supposed to get that's on the shelf in the room or whatever. Yeah. And you, you, you keep – and I was like, okay, if, if something's going to happen, that's the trigger. And I, I keep walking, and then, like – Nothing happens, and I was like, "Oh, okay. I think, I think, I think, I guess Resident Evil is just doing a really good job of just screwing with me. Uh, I'm just like, it's the psychological horror." And then you go to open the door, and a liquor jumps out, and I was like, "Ah!" <laughs> and I was like, "God damn it! I knew it!" Like I was so mad, and yet I was actually like, I could feel my heart jump out of my chest, like because like, it was just the way they timed it and how much like they mess with like what thing is g going to trigger this thing you think might happen. So I don't know. Uh, that's that's still to me like same thing with Resident Evil. Like James was saying, is I was mad at the game. I was like, oh really? Yeah. Like, yeah. God damn it! And even even now when I go back and play it, like uh, I I was actually halfway expecting that to be the same way in the remake, mm -hmm. and uh, it it doesn't quite happen the same way. Um, but uh, now I'm like, you know, okay, prepare. Gotta prepare myself. It's coming. You know. Like, yeah. So. There's something about when the way. It's time. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, go, go for it. Yeah, there's something about the the timing of how it's orchestrated in the original as opposed to the remake. It's frustrating in the remake, but at the same time, like, there's something about the original where you, it's almost, I get, it's like you bake in that time, I guess. And it's something where they let that sort of silentness or that pregnant pause, like, really stick there. And then when it happened, it's like it, mm. something about the timing of it that's abrupt where it's so frustrating because you know, you know that it, there's a chance that that's going to happen. And then that's the best kind, really. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, yeah. I wanted to riff on something you said earlier uh, about the different categories of jump, jump scares, oh, okay. uh, which is very interesting to me because. Um, uh, because you said there are the ones that work and there are the ones that are like annoying and there are the ones that that. Uh, uh, you're angry that they work or something. Yeah. I've, I've thought about jump scares a lot because I'm somebody who is like very mm, stoic when it comes to jump scares most times. Mm. Um, and then there are sometimes some that, that get me, um, but I'm not, I'm rarely mad at, like there's two types that get me. One gets me and I'm mad at them because they're just so cheap and others, they get me and I'm just genuinely in respect of the like I'm genuinely like in awe of the game having pulled that off and only just not too long ago it occurred to me what the big thing that separates these two is hmm. um, and that is uh, if the, the the way the the jump scare pulls it off is with diegetic and non-diegetic methods diegetic basically means and anything that's diegetic sound for instance especially is sound that actually exists within this within the space of the game and non-diegetic sound sources are musical cues stings any kind of stuff mm. and i have this this uh, realization that in over the past 20 30 years of horror history especially with films and everything but games do that as well 
you very often get that that a jump scare startles you. It's like it gets like this response, but not because the scare itself was cleverly orchestrated, but simply because out of nowhere you get multiple instrumental and sound effect cues that have nothing to do with what with what's happening in on screen there just to startle you mm. and to me this is kind of like um like wh whenever that happens i'm just annoyed because i feel like you have orchestrated this jump scare but have never tried if it works without the sounds your jump scare or your your scary moment should work completely without any extrinsic sound factors. If that is the case, then you don't even need them anymore. Uh, I came up with this comparison, which is basically like, what what non-diegetic sound cues do? I mean, uh, there might be, you know, exceptions to this, of course, but it is like it does not amplify the actual scare, but it distracts from it. You're scared of a percussion of a symbol and not of um, that ghost there on screen. Yeah, and that's like as if you, as if you, as if you like, I don't know. Every time you you climax, a Spanish uh, band comes in and plays like a mariachi song to emphasize the moment, but it would <laughs> just distract you, and you would just only focus on yeah. them, even though the moment has more input. So that's what always gets me mad. And when somebody that, that, manages to pull off a jump, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> When you manage to pull that off without that, then it's something where I really sit in awe and be like, man, well done. This this is great, you know? Absolutely. You know, I, I feel like I will never judge jump scares the same again because now I'm kind of like going through a catalog of like when I was frustrated and it does, that, that actually reigns true. Like there is a particular feeling of it, having it forced upon you as mm -hmm. opposed to yes. allowing the, the actual immersion of the scene and the location to feel convincing enough. And I think, yeah, that's like, that's a super, uh, that's an incredibly strong point. Like I, like now I think about it, like the times that I got annoyed was because it was more like a, Hey, you know, we're going to scare you like this with this sound mm -hmm. and it's overlaid with like what you're actually seeing. And when it doesn't yeah. do that, when it's something that's immersive, like within the actual environment, it feels more inclusive. So yeah, yeah. those are usually the, the ones that the actually are... The best way that works is when it happens in a video game and it's not even scripted. Um, I noticed that quite often when I played Fatal Frame, like I covered the last four games uh, in videos, so I played them quite a bit. And very often um, the environment creates situations that you could 100% um, categorize as jump scares they're they're really piss your pants scary in that moment they really grip you but nobody scripted them it happened yeah. from the systems interacting with the world with just just by clever programming clever game design yeah, that's game really the ones yeah. yeah exactly exactly and that's and that's where i noticed this difference i was never mad at when when fatal frames four, uh, four or whatever scared me um, because could, that's really happening in the world there. Could you give an example? So yeah, like uh, from the game. Well, okay. So Fatal Frame is um, for anyone who doesn't know how the games work. You're basically it, Fatal Frame has a very interesting twist on what we 
played, uh, what we talked about before about the disempowerment, because in Fatal Frame you never have a gun or anything, but you're in haunted houses uh, in the Japanese countryside and different uh, places, and there are ghosts, and you have a camera through which you can see these ghosts, and by um, capturing these ghosts with your camera, taking a snapshot, you will exercise them. And I, th I, I love the metaphor in this, because um, taking a picture of something that is, um, that is superstition removes this superstitious element. You, you prove it, and you thereby take the power of the ghost away. It's, it's metaphorically really beautiful. Mm. Um, but this, this combat with ghosts, they kind of float around the room, and they are not bound by, by walls or something. They can float through walls and, and whatever. So when, normally the games, like the first three especially, they have like this typical um, survival horror fixed camera perspective. So you see it from the outside, you see your character from a distance and have like a wide angle and you can see everything. But the moment you put the camera in front of your face, you see it in a first person per, uh, POV and the field of view also gets really narrow and your movement gets relatively slow. So it gets really claustrophobic and you can't see everything and when a ghost is like to your left and you hear that with a stereo sound, you move over but it's like languid and you, you, you know. And then in these scenarios it happens so often that you, let's, let's say you, you move over to the left because you think the ghost is there but you think it is far uh, further up to the left and then suddenly it pops out of a wall without you expecting it and it's like right in your face uh, and you're like oh my god and that ghost just gets you right yeah um wow pretty brilliant honestly um yeah that's very organic yeah very organic yes i think that's what i love it's one of the many things i love about these games that they're Absolutely. yeah as you said emergent gameplay or emergent yeah. jump scares that's that's really that's really the best way to describe yeah. it in one concise word I, yeah. I wanted to ask you, so you've covered like a lot of uh, uh, horror games on your channel. Yeah, it's a great, yes. awesome YouTube channel. Like just one of the best analysis you. of, uh, you know, like scary games. Like do, do you have like a favorite, you. Uh, you know, spooky game? <laughs> do you have a favorite horror game? Um, <laughs> that's a, first of all, thank you this, uh, for, for, the, for the compliment. I really appreciate that. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I have covered a lot over the last Seven, seven years, Jesus. Um, favorite questions, I got to say, I am very bad at. Because when, when you ask me, what's your favorite scary game? Yeah. My mind immediately jumps to many, many, many of them. Um, and all of them feel like uh, they are worthy of the title for different reasons. And then when I have to decide on one, then I feel like naming my favorite child, sort of. You know, I feel like insulting the others for not being the best. Yeah. Um, but hmm, okay, let me let me think for a second. Um, because we can we can rate this in different ways, right? Um, for instance, I covered a while ago the Polish um, indie horror game Darkwood. Um, which I think is one of like I'm gonna go for two games really quickly that I found some of the scariest that I've played. Okay, right? mm -hmm. and Darkwood is one of them. Darkwood plays deep in a forest that at some point, uh, un some, at some point in time, not too long ago, in the past, uh, the trees started overgrowing for uh, mysterious reasons and started like basically sealing everybody in. Like they, they started 
growing mysteriously fast and everybody who tried to chop them down, they would regrow faster than you could even chop them down and they would seal everybody in. There's no way out of this, this forest zone, right? And you're somebody who has to survive in this, this forlorn part of the world and uh, it, it plays a lot with, um, with Slavic folklore, with um, a lot of things that are scarce that are not in your side because it's a top-down game but you can only see the things that are in front of you in your view cone you know, like you see your view cone and everything that's in your view cone you can see so uh, when you hear some something on the left or but you're looking to the right it might be that it's right there right and this creates it's, it's really interesting because top-down might feel like, oh, this is less scary because you can see more. But because right. of this view cone and also what we said before, um, because you see everything just from top down, your mind fills in a lot of the gaps. You see these monsters, they're like drawn out and everything, but you only see them from the top. So you, it feels much more scary than um, it appears at first glance. But then there comes an aspect into it that is pretty brilliant in my opinion. It's like... It has a survival comp component, and it's also a survival horror game. So survival horror is not necessarily a survival game. Um, but then comes the part that the, the day-night cycle is, like, continuously going on. So you only have, like, a limited amount of time during the day to do your tasks, to, to you know, um, meet people, find objects, find uh, any kind of clue how to get out of this forest. But at night you need to be in a hideout in um a yeah in a house that that you find and um because if you are outside of um of the range of a house where there's like there's like a generator that fills the house with with a gas that keeps like uh, ghostly influences or like you know like uh, eldritch influences out if you are outside of that at night you will be like hunted down by something so big and, and, and menacing, you have literally no chance to survive. So you need to be indoors at night. But you're not safe at night. Which means at night you have to um, prepare yourself for anything that might storm your house. Mm. So this can be um, wild cannibals, this can be hellish dogs, this can be all kinds of... Uh, things that you don't even know yet what's what's coming you just know something might come so you start barricading you you nail the windows shut you nail the doors shut you move crates in front of doors and windows and try to find a corner where you hide away um you put light sources in in places to to lure any invader into a different corner you put traps out you know bear traps you can uh douse the floor in, in gasoline and and uh then toss like a like a match on it to to incinerate stuff all that kind of stuff um and you need to keep your uh, generator on at night and then when the night starts you have ho hopefully prepped everything and this this element is kind of a little bit even like a tower defense game only that you don't see what's going on basically you you have prepared everything and then you sit in a corner you cower you have like your your board with nails in your hands, sit in the corner and just cower, and then you just wait. And it really takes a while for something to even happen. You just sit there, you wait, you wait the night out. And it's a 
technically this is like game design wise because you, you cannot have a player sit there for two and a half minutes with nothing happening but weirdly these minutes are so intense because you hear things from left from right top down in the forest and everything you, you hear things in the distance and every time you hear something your mind starts playing tricks on you your mind starts thinking oh god what was that you heard a little rattle over there on the left, uh, on, on a window, and you say, holy, holy shit, is, is there somebody coming? And this is, this is one of the reasons why I think Darkwood was one of the most scary games. And it's, I think, also one of the best horror games that I've played. Um, because it can make silence scary. And when something happens, and something will happen eventually, then it unloads in such a sudden crescendo that you can really almost call it not really a jump scare but this is also perfectly a game that creates these emergent moments let's say you wait and wait and wait and wait and nothing comes and you get like okay maybe i should i should walk around and, and look around and then then you go out of your hiding spot and you go out of the door and then you look to your right and as i said you only see what's in your view cone and you turn your view cone to the right and suddenly there stands something right in front of you that's not scripted, it's just there, and it snarls and it attacks you. It makes your heart jump right into your throat. It's it's beautifully crafted. Wow, wow. that's yeah. perfect. Yeah. It's yeah. wonderful, it's a wonderful game. I made a pretty long video on it, um, and um, in that video, I um, propose that anybody who has never played this game um, if they want to experience one of the most emotionally intense experiences uh, they ever had, to start this game not on the normal difficulty, not on the hard difficulty, but on the nightmare difficulty. Without knowing anything, not looking anything up, because the nightmare difficulty is actually pure permadeath. You go wow. in there, you die, you're dead. And it won't probably take you all that long, but to try and play this without knowing anything about the systems while still learning everything and going in there and trying to just survive as long as you can also knowing you know you won't waste 20 hours of your life and then having to start over it probably won't take that long but just this trying to cling to your life in in, a, in an environment that's completely foreign and scary and, and, and threatening to you is so ultra intense I can recommend it if that's something you can stomach. It's it's a one of a kind experience, and you can only experience it like that if you have never played that game before. <laughs> I feel like this is actually very good advice for not just horror games, but a, a lot of games. I, I feel like this has happened a lot nowadays with especially reviewers, where they might talk about the, the difficulty spikes of a game or whatever. But I think to your point, Ragnar, when you go into something that you don't you haven't you haven't seen anything before, you don't know what's going to happen, and mm -hmm. the stakes that get raised by playing on a difficulty level that A, doesn't give you everything to make you feel safe and has real stakes and consequences. Like, um, not, not that it, you, you, it's different for other games, but um, I, I actually experienced this when like, I played Last of Us and then I thought it was not really a horror game, but you know it's very character driven. But then when you play it on Grounded where there's permadeath and there's no resources, all of a sudden just go. the way that you think about yourself Mm -hmm. <laughs> the way that you think mm -hmm. about how you play like even if you play a game like Diablo 3 that is also isn't scary even though it's about killing demons as soon as you enable permadeath and the stakes become much more real it's it's shocking how differently you play a game like just 
how, how much scarier it can actually be. It's also emotionally resonant because you play a character that is supposed to be in there and uh, yeah, should be scared of their life because it, in, in this story that's being told, in Darkwood it fits, but it fits also in The Last of Us, in this post-apocalypse or in Diablo 3, whatever. All these characters technically are in there and uh, in their reality, if they die, they're dead, so they should be scared. But we as players, you know, like we, we just go in there and we, we don't really care about it. But the more investment you have in a character, the more you don't want to lose it. So, as you said, like the stakes get raised. And what I mean by that is like you, you get it gets emotionally resonant because you also really start caring about not losing this. There's actual loss on the table if you bite the dust here. So it's it's really it's really stress. It can be really, really stressful and, and raise the stakes in a way that is like very, very um, it can make it very exciting, but also very, you know, very anxiety-inducing. This is a sort of a mini-tangent, not about horror games, but it was reminding me of... If you look at a lot of the people discussing the, uh, like, uh, kind of discussion around the recent Amazon show, Invincible, um, this is a thing that comes up a lot where they were talking about that early on in the show, you know, when you think about something like a superhero comic, uh, they're always, like, kind of hitting each other and fighting, but they're, like, obviously they're always really okay. And very early on in that show, they establish stakes. They establish that characters can die, um, and that people are, you know, even even the heroes are not immune from that. And I I feel like it gets the same kind of thing. As soon as you establish that stakes are real, um, and that you, you kind of push people out of that that idea that they experience stories or fiction in a way where there aren't really stakes, like it's going to all work out at the end. And as soon as your story establishes that you, especially or, or uh, even other characters are not actually safe. You're like, oh, okay. And then as you're, I think you were mentioning before around how some things are only possible because, like, when you're playing it as a video game. And I think those go even up even more when it's not just understanding that the characters are not safe, understanding that you are not safe. Um, it, it comes, exactly. it hits you much harder. It's a very interesting structural trick. No, absolutely. I've got something I wanted to mention very quickly here. It's exactly what it is that you two just were talking about. It's that feeling of not being safe within the world that is presented to you and feeling that as if you are quite literally on edge because you are literally on edge. Like, what it is that you've got going around you, it's so important. You need to stay alive. You need to make sure that you're able to survive whatever situations you're in. And sometimes in some games, for example, like The Last of Us, they kind of stop you from doing something that would normally keep you safe. And what do I mean by that? Pausing games, right? It's like, for example, right. one of my one of my best friends, James, he pauses games when it is he gets like uh, in a bit of like a scared like state or just a bit of a startled mode. And so it's a joke that we have, just like for example, whenever he does it, super fast pause. But like in The Last of Us, you can't do that because like the world in and of itself is still continuing. You are playing through, for example, in The Last of Us One, you're playing through Joel, you're utilizing him as an avatar through which you know you can express in the world. But again, like, whatever happens to him is tethered to your decisions in such a specific way that you can't just leave him hanging out there. Do you know what I mean? That you can't just pause, okay, that's fine. No, a liquor is going to a clicker is going to uh, is going to come up behind you. It's going to get you. Do you know what I mean? Another thing as well regarding this is the, uh, the listen mode in The Last of Us as well. I found that that as a concept, that as a mechanic, it seems like something that would give you too much of an upper hand, right? To be able to sort of like hear where it is that people are and almost like a bat, you know, utilize an echolocation-like ability and sort of see the outlines of uh, other characters around you in the world and other NPCs. But one thing that I've always thought was really cool 
they gave you that, but it's almost kind of like a double-edged sword. Because now that you've got this mm -hmm. ability, you're able to think and see so much further than you normally would. It means that you've got to sort of play this mental game of chess now. All right, I'm going to walk out behind this box. Will this liquor see me if I walk around here? Oh, there's a brick there. Is it worth it if I try and get it and use that later to take out an enemy? Or should I throw it and try and create more of a distraction over that way? You, you have to sort of like plan all of these things ahead of time instead of just walking out into this area where you know you don't know what's going on do you know what i mean so it's kind of like it's like an inverse in a sense of what it is you were describing in a in darkwood but it's also still scary do you know what i mean it's like you they, they, they show you what it is that's going on in a sense or you've got the option to look and you've got the option to utilize the listen mode mechanic and then in doing so it sort of gives you even more of a even more of a fear do you know what i mean because like they don't stop just for you like they can, you, they can still move around. They can still attack you. They can still hear you. They can still, you know, they can still harm you. So there's no like, mm -hmm. there's no escape there. You can't just pause. You can't just run away. You've got to be very careful about what it is that you're doing. And I think that what it is you were talking about in terms of the preparation steps in Darkwood, they reminded me a lot of that with regards to those two areas of areas of the Last of Us mixing together there with the listen mode and the and the lack of the pause sort of saving you in in scary moments. Yeah. That listen mode that you mentioned there reminds me of, I think, what I actually think is the scariest game that I've ever played. Oh. Which is, um, like, and I totally agree with what you say there, this, this double-edged sword, um, because you would think that this listen mode makes it less scary, but it creates n a new layer of scary in a way, you know? Siren. Yes. Or forbidden siren. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. 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 yeah, for sure. Siren is really a game when somebody tells me I noped out of this game, hundred percent get you. I hundred percent get you. This this is really, in my opinion, one of the scariest the, the whole series really, but is it it's so incredibly scary. And the reason why I thought of this is like Siren plays in like a um like a Japanese countryside in a village that's kind of like haunted at all, I don't want to go too much into detail, but um, people are kind of, um, there's sort of, sort of almost like zombies, but they still have a lot of, lot more cognitive, cognitive abilities and everything. I, they get, they're, they're struck by a curse and you are, you for some reason get the ability to what the game calls sight jacking. So every time, whenever you want in the game, you can actually see through every character in the game you kind of have to tune uh your your um your right uh the, the the gamepad stick you have to tune it around 360 degrees to like a ping to see where uh where does it does it resonate if there if there is an enemy and then you can kind of like set three of them um to to dedicated quote-unquote channels and then you can switch to actually see through their viewpoint. And this yeah. is also something that it, it makes you think, oh, this makes it less scary because you know where all the monsters are. You can see even through their view. This, this, this takes all the scares away, but it adds so much because you see A through their view, but you, you cannot control them, right? So yeah. you, you follow their head bobs, their head movement. You hear their their labored breathing because they're you know they're not in a in a sane normal state. They're kind of like zombie-ish, but they still carry, for instance, weapons. You know, like, but but you you look through their eyes and it it the the you also don't have in unlimited like um uh what's it called like viewing distance, right? Yes. So 
that that adds a lot to it. But sometimes in this game, one of these scariest things can happen is like that you like, okay, uh, I'm gonna plan my next steps. And then you look through a couple of uh, viewpoints of the enemies and then, you know, you zip through the channels sort of, and then suddenly you zip through the next and then you look at yourself. Yes. Oh, and you look God. at yourself and the camera is moving towards your character and you're like, holy shit. And, and yeah. this creates like these these really intense moments that just, just yeah. and of course, it makes you also vulnerable, right? In, in The Last of Us, when you do the, the, um, the breathing mode, the listening mode, there we go, uh, then you can still control your character and everything. But in this, it's like you view through the other character, um, through the enemy's viewpoint. Yeah but you don't view your own anymore. So you're completely vulnerable in that moment. And it creates these incredible moments of, of scary that had me nope out of this game multiple times. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> scarier than a jump scare. Like, because yes. this mechanic that is your key to survival, I've, I've seen people play mm -hmm. it where they're like, I, I don't want to survive. I'd rather just like have <laughs> the enemy just come get me because using it is so much scarier. It's... It's amazing. It's such an amazing, uh, I don't know, not even risk versus reward. It's like like psychic damage versus reward mechanic. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's awesome. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's really interesting that we, this even been mentioned, just to be honest, because like this game in and of itself, it really is so cool just to check out. I've not played it myself yet. I would like to in the future one day, but, but again, my best friend James, he's really into the series, loves it very, very much so even just started speedrunning mm -hmm. it and because of that i've been able to take Ooh. you know looks at uh, yeah looks at the game so i've been i've been oh, wow. i've been watching the game through his streams he's been streaming it recently with a bunch of streamers and stuff but yeah like um honestly what it is that ragnar was saying just then those tense moments those fearful frightful moments where you sort of end up sort of you know just getting really into the mind in, a, in essence of the npcs and the enemies around you that is such an interesting thing because you don't see that a lot in many games especially like games like this like you don't see the perspective of the actual enemy that's hunting you down that like you don't see yourself running away you don't see yourself you know being hurt you always you know see your own singular perspective so yeah in terms of that it's also amazing but one other thing which i wanted to mention briefly the way in which the game looks it looks like absolutely amazing like for its time it probably again i didn't play the game i've not played it still but i didn't get to see it when it was actually coming out I can imagine that like it must have been something else to the people that saw this in the uh, in the time when it came out because like the faces, the texturing, the yeah. animations, and the ways in which they've been able to achieve these realistic faces and like renderings as well, like just the texturing involved oh, yeah. with you know getting these photoreal looking faces and putting them over, but having that slight like uncanny valleyness of them with regard to the eyes uncanny opening valley, and the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 and and the and the and the muscles on the faces and stuff it, it's wonderful to look at. Just want to talk about that for a bit. At the first game, basically, they they uh, took camera like camera recordings of people of actual people and then just projected them onto flat uh, faces, and it looked both very realistic for the time, but also very much not realistic. And it it is like this game even takes place in a valley. This is like pure uncanny valley. Yeah. This is off, in but also more realistic than anything you've seen. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Like the aesthetic yeah. of this game pulls off so much of the scare factor. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, just as you said there, like it play, it takes place in. Oh, sorry, just a quick but it takes place in a in a Japanese town called Hanada, and it's been like segregated mm -hmm. from the rest of the world. 
and yeah, there's the, it's basically got these um, boundaries which people you know don't typically cross. But there's an earthquake that like devastates like the region, and yeah, like it just replaces the surrounding area with like lots of eerie, endless sort of like red sea, and that's sort of a big part of like why there's a lot of like red and like just you know red um, within like the game within a lot of what it is you see in terms of the promotional like art as well. But yeah, there's that. There's uh, villages that get consumed by the Red Sea that begin to turn into like possessed beings. There's all this sort of stuff, you know, the re the reawakening of like ancient, you know, evil gods, so to speak. So all of this it's tied within the the realm of being sort of like held down in a place. Do you know what I mean? Like like a like a what was like a very well a very literal curse on, on the area in and of itself. But the curse like spreading out very very much in a in a Junji Itoish sense. Very very Uzumaki. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like just the fact that like the uh, it's it's not, it's not that like the like a bad thing happened there. It's like the place itself is bad, and that's why yeah. things happened mm -hmm. there. That's it. Yeah. What, okay. What, what I, sorry, what I was gonna add, I don't, Richmond, I bet you can add some color to this. Is uh, even kind of what, what uh, Adam was saying. This is one of those games that re that really like reinforces to me that I don't know what it is about Japanese horror and ghost stories, but I feel like they're so much more psychologically terrifying than Western style ones. Um, I, I feel like even in school, I, I heard from a couple of our friends like different uh, Japanese ghost stories, and the thing that Adam was talking about, a lot of them have this idea of an un like unclear boundary that the ghosts or the creatures cannot cross, but it's terrifying because you don't know what's stopping them, you don't know what boundaries have been created within the way that they came to be. There's a number of different types of ghosts and specters and phantasms and whatever. But they're always kind of lurking outside of some rule or element that mm -hmm. keeps them at bay from necessarily being, uh, you know, a threat. And I don't know. There's something about whenever I look at games like this, where I like we're talking about things like Resident Evil and Last of Us, which Resident Evil is not a, a Western game, but the the Western like style of jump scare horror. And when I look at like whenever we talk about the games that are truly, truly scary, they tend to play a lot off of the Japanese style of horror. And I can never put my finger on it, but it's just one of these games that reminds me of that so much. I have one big hypothesis for that, um, because if, also if you think of something like Silent Hill, right? It, it plays in uh, it plays in New England, but it's it's a very Japanese game in terms of how it. Um, manifests its horrors, you know. As you say, like it's, it feels much more psychologically dense and, uh, and all-consuming in a way. And there's one thing about Western horror, in general, of course, exceptions always the case, you know. Mm -hmm. But where horror has often, and that's even the case if the writers are not Christian or anything, but it is still informed by this proto-Christian idea of like. Uh, punishment and absolution. So anything that often happens to a character in terms of uh, scary stuff or threatening stuff that happens, very often, even subconsciously, has in some form to do with this character did bad because of that, and because of that, this happens to them, and this kind of punishment happens to them because of their previous actions or because of their trauma or because of all kinds of um, elements that that. Give, that make us almost like um, the audience of a, of, a, of, of a Saw movie or something, right? <laughs> Where you have like these characters and they get like their punishment for what they deserve. And yes. Japanese horror ne not necessarily does that. I mean, in Silent Hill you have that component, but it doesn't become about the, um, the sadistic pleasure of watching that, 
but it becomes about something greater, something grander that is completely out of our control. And in that sense, Japanese horror uh, tickles far more the same boxes of uncanny, like um, H.P. Lovecraft type of horror that is like um, grand and totally out of our uh, out of our scope, uh, in which we're small and and completely um, meaningless, and we're basically just just atoms in a in a big simulation or something, or we're really at the whims <laughs> of, of gigantic gods yeah. who are nothing but like dirt under their shoes. Yeah, you know like this eldritch cosmic uh, sense of horror, and I think a lot of Japanese horror tickles a similar sensation to what makes these stories so tantalizing in a way. You know, it's I just want to very quickly. Oh, oh. So, sorry, sorry to cleaning in, but I, just, I really got to say something. Um, what it is that you said there, it's like perfect. Just because like, oh, I was thinking about this just the other day. Like, I want to just try and riff this out. Maybe just, okay, so I'm trying to see if there's a specific level of difference between what I would call like moral and cosmic horror. So they can kind mm -hmm. of like intertwine, but I'm just I've just just started calling them this myself. But with regards to things like the Brothers Grimm like tales and stuff like that, the things that we learn about in our sort of childhood uh, childhood like over here, for example, the boy who cried wolf, right? Like again, what what does mm -hmm. that story say? Like don't lie, because obviously you know the child comes out to the village, says hey everyone, there's a wolf coming, ah, and then obviously everyone gets scared, but then there's no wolf, and then he keeps doing this again for days and days, weeks and weeks, months and months, up until the point where he can scream and shout and no one listens. But goes outside, one day actual wolf, actual wolf, actual danger, real danger, real threat. So what does he do? As you would, goes and tells everyone, hey wolf, oh no, there's a wolf out here, everyone needs to, you know, be safe and I need help, there's a wolf out here. Obviously, because of what it is he's done, no one believes him, and as many people will have heard before, what happens at the end, killed by the wolf, and then the lesson there, the moral of that, is hey, don't, you know, lie about things that are, that are occurring in life, you need for people to believe you on the first time, if it's important. And I think that obviously, there are many different versions of this throughout the, the tales which we get taught as children. And again, in the contrast to this, the sort of cosmic horror, that that much more sort of, um, as you put there, that amorphous, un uh, 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 what's the word for it, like unknown, um, just very, very strange, in essence, sort of incomprehensible horror, in essence, right? Like the, the things that happen for reasons which we just do not understand. Like, that is so, so cool to me, just the fact that like we have these two different versions of horror. They're like seasonings, they're like flavors, do you know what I mean? And they, they can they can mix together so many in so many different ways sometimes. But just in terms of like by a country, I remember Richmond and I spoke about this a while ago, and I think he did a thread about it on Twitter, maybe. But there was a time where I think like different countries have different um, senses of like uh, artistic understanding and artistic literacy, especially in children. And I think that like Japan ranked like quite highly in terms of this. I remember. I think um, there was supposed to be like a, a test or something that was like done. I think or some kind of like art inter interpretation test, and something in Japan did quite favorably. But um, just in terms of uh, mangaka, like uh, a Kentaro Miura, for example, the ability to mm. produce work of such a quality at such a young level and sort of such a level at such a young age, and to have so many people of, again, such an age, be able to do so and have, you know, the, the route to becoming a, a mangaka be such a popular, like, thing in such a place. Like, I think that that feeds into this a lot. And the understanding of, like, art, the understanding of expression, the understanding of how it is to portray a narrative, 
how to portray a feeling, an emotion, a plot line, a story, and to thread these into, you know, like serialized stories as manga and to ingest that so much so often at such a young age. I think it does do something. I think it changes how it is that you're able to tell stories and not even just like improves upon, but it just gives a different perspective that we necessarily don't, you know, encounter that we don't have. We don't we don't have um, all of the time, at least, especially I'm speaking as an English person in England, for example. But growing up, it wasn't the, uh, the, the, the the pinnacle or one of the coolest things to do to want to be like, oh, hey, I'm going to be, what, what are you going to be when you're older? I'm going to be a, a manga artist. Like, not everyone said that. People either wanted to be a footballer, people wanted to be like, a, like an actor or like a, or like a, or like a, like a star in, 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 um, in something else. Do you know what I mean? Like people wanted, wanted different entertainment-based roles, but they wanted different things. Like they wanted things in sports, all different kinds of things. And that obviously does occur all over the world. But I just thought it was really interesting, the fact that like, we kind of got into that a little bit. Just the fact that like these things manifest in such a cultural sense. And our artistic understanding and liter- literacy in and of itself it is inherently, well, not always inherently, but it, it, it's tied to that. Where it is that we are from, it's a huge part of how it is that we see the world and how our worldview is formed is definitely an important part of what it is that we produce in a creative sense. That's what I want to say. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I mean, there's there's a wonderful example that that uh, illustrates exactly what you've said um, perfectly, and that is Silent Hill again, right? Um, because there's this exact gap between these two different uh, flavors of horror, so to say. And the first four Silent Hill games, they all have this component of like people having uh, different sins, different regrets, and a certain element of torment and, and punishment and redemption in them but they weren't exclusively about that there was a much bigger thing span over that including like the whole idea with the cult and the different deities and gods and whatnot so much so that you know you could you could there's been written theories without end without it ever being fully explained and then eventually it was given over to uh, western developers and um they uh ended up um, making decent games you know it can be some some like them some don't some find them mediocre whatever um but in many ways they started becoming far more formulaic and a lot of them started removing the whole elements about the cult because they frankly didn't really quite understand how it really tied into what made it work uh, and then you had characters who was like okay uh, you know, we had James in Silent Hill 2, he, you know, he, he, he killed his wife and uh, then he needs to go through through uh, redemption, so uh, uh, through the, this purgatory and then reach different conclusions. So we make that again. So we have now this truck driver who has like this and that regret and then he goes to purgatory and goes to this and that conclusion. And the next game does the same with a different character. And it does the whole thing, but it completely focuses far too much on this very western horror element of like redemption punishment sin um in in contrast to the others and it loses this certain this certain special umami ingredient that made the original game so well-rounded and perfect you know absolutely horror umami yeah yeah horror umami such a perfect way to describe that Listen, uh, are we going to be talking about Lady D or what? Because, I mean, that's horror mommy right there, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> right, right, real quick, though, I think James had something to say for real. Yeah, let's go for it, man. 
Uh, James, are you there? Oh, yeah, hello? Yeah, yeah I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. go for it, man. Yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, one of the things I was going to bring up, uh, it may or may not be, like, necessarily horror-related, but uh, there's a particular anime called Space Runaway Ideon, by, uh, directed by Yoshiyuki Tomino, uh, and there is a level of, like, cosmic horror there that it's simple on its initial layer, but when you think about the fact of, like, what we were talking about before, when you can't control what's going on, like, when it is something that is just, it's going to do whatever it wants to do, and you're at the mercy of it, uh, this series uh, masterfully uh, creates that feeling with every single character, regardless of what they're going through, regardless of what's going on in, you know, their own conflicts amongst each other. Uh, the idea that there is this cosmic entity that is just going to do whatever it's going to do, uh, and you kind of watch people sort of just mercilessly, like, sort of exist in panic uh, throughout the entire series until it makes the decision to do what it wants to do. And I just remember watching it and just kind of being like, whatever these characters have going on is so inconsequential. Like, this thing is going to do a thing. And I was thinking that before I got to, like, the end of it. And it was just, like, to see it unfold the way that it does, that, to me, was, like, true, like, cosmic horror. Like... Uh, and that's another show that actually does really well with uh, sound design for certain like otherworldly like things. But uh, yeah, it just when you guys were talking about something that you just completely can't control, and that being like the emphasis of the fear that a character would have, it reminded me of uh, Ideon. Nice. So uh, since since Ragnar was talking about Silent Hill, I, I figure I can swoop in with my my uh, kind of spooky moment, which uh, like I feel like it's almost. Um, obvious for most people, but is in the first Silent Hill game, uh, specifically when you first actually when you first start encountering enemies in the school, it's not the actual enemies that you see, but they have these like little dark children. That children, yeah. Oh man. And they never are enemies. They you never actually fight them, but they run around like your feet, and then they disappear. And um, this is also an element where they have like reverse screams, kind of subtly in the background of the school. And, of course, the atmosphere and um, the exact thing we're talking about. I feel like Silent Hill is one of those games that, at least the early ones, really perfected the art of something that you can't control, you think is going to happen, but you don't quite ever know if it's really a threat or you don't really know if you have con control over it. Like, And I don't know why. Like, so There are enemies in the school that I think are called uh, mumblers or something. Uh, mm -hmm. that, you, that you do attack, and they're not that threatening. Like, they, they are kind of threatening in that you see them in the darkness, and you don't really know what they are, and they're kind of grotesque-looking. But I always, like, man, those, those little, like, dark children that just run around your feet while you're in the school just really got to me. <laughs> like, I had to <laughs> put down the game a number of times. Like, I couldn't, yeah. uh, I couldn't like, move on longer, and, I like, I had to, like, chill out. I, I think I, I started off, like, oh, I'm going to play this game at night with all the lights uh, off. And that lasted about to the school, and then <laughs> and then the lights were there were lights on. There was you know. Yeah. That, um, that yeah yeah that that was actually one of my favorite uh, spooky moments in games was uh, the first time I encountered one of the little ghost baby children in in that very first Simon Hill, and I, I remember you know uh, we were talking earlier that disempowerment like uh, uh, you know um, uh, Harry uh, is that was that the father's name Harry. 
right? In the first yeah, Harry Mason. Power. Harry Mason, yeah. Oh, Mason. Yeah, he's not, he's, he's not a fighter, right? He, at that point, like, you just have, like, a two-by-four. And, and I remember, like, this little shadowy figure coming up, and I, I just froze in place, and then I got my board, and then it just stopped in front of me, and I was just, like, swinging away at it. I was just like, ah, ah, get away. And, like, you know, it's, 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 it's in, incorporate. It's, it's not physical, right? It was just passing right through, and it took me a full minute before I was like, "Oh, like it's, I can't hurt it, but it can't hurt me either." And um, <laughs> I don't know. And then after that, like, sort of my attitude towards it slowly changed. And then I was like, "Oh, you know, it's like, it's kind of cute. <laughs> it's like a little baby <laughs> thing, and it's just kind of there." And I think, um, I think this goes into like what we were talking about, like sort of what is this umami uh, thing about like Japanese horror that makes it stand out because because Silent Hill like you said it, it's very western inspired too right it takes place in America um, it, it's super inspired by like uh, uh, Jacob's Ladder which is a wonderful Cop. movie yeah and yes yes Kindergarten Cop yeah, oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Kindergarten Cop, actually. excellent uh, trivia there right like um, they, they base the school mm-hmm. off of a uh, Kindergarten Cop right yeah yeah mm-hmm. so um, and then I, I think uh, uh, at, when Konami made the game they actually told the team explicitly like you got to make a game that'll sell well in America, and they they started. You got to copy Resident Evil explicitly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and but but Team Silent was you know like uh, just a bunch of rebels. They went the other direction. They were like, screw you! Like we're gonna make literature that people are gonna remember, like you know, like a hundred years from now. Like they went like super personal with it. But um, anyways, just to, I think to try my attempt to tie uh, this conversation together. Um, so even though it's super Western inspired, I think the the, the Eastern element to it that that kind of makes it stand out is um, uh, I, I think you guys brought up really good points about our Western horror. It is steeped in um, uh, Christianity, and there's a strong moral element, right? Like things are happening uh, because of a, a moral reason, right? There, there's there's the um, you know uh, someone is being judged and punished, and uh, Silent Hill is very much about that. But then. Uh, I'd say the Eastern component and what makes Silent Hill scary, what makes like Siren and these other games scary is um, it's less about being judged by God or, or, or even the author. And it's more about like just um, you just feel like these are laws of nature that you're, you're just sort of getting a glimpse at. right? Like it's, it's not like rules set out necessarily by a deity. It's just like you're getting glimpses into a part of the universe you're not supposed to see. And there's some logic behind there, and you don't fully understand it. And um, I, I, you know, I, I think it's that attitude. It's like rather than acting in accordance with God and like set rules, it's like okay, if you're gonna live through this, you gotta act in accordance with nature, and you you gotta kind of like just intuit, okay, like how does this place work, and and you know how do I just not disturb it as as little as possible. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's that's the key difference is acting in nature rather than acting in, you know, like w- with a personal relationship to some deity, like directing and judging you. I think it's a big part of it. Absolutely. Kind of like the zone, the stalker zone. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh. Right. Awesome. The, the awesome whole, that's, that's the whole idea. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah. Like n- laws of nature that are there, but they're so beyond our comprehension that it's yeah. unforeseeable and that's what makes it scary and uh, yeah. trying to tie your own personality into it is, is ultimately just hubris that will crush you. Yes. It's like, uh, yeah, 
Uh, same ah, same with Dark yeah, Wood, right? Yeah. yeah, similar yeah. concept. Yes. Yeah, very very zony concept. I I I had hoped that I would uh, not like that I would be able to have one conversation in my life and not tie a bow to Stalker, but hey, <laughs> here we are again. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I actually just watched Stalker for the first time just a, a, like a few months ago. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was amazing. It blew me away. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I'd been meaning to watch it literally, literally holding onto a copy to, of it for like 20 years. And I was like, okay, tonight's the night. Damn. <laughs> oh my God, it lived up to it. Totally. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so sick. Just one other thing as well, just kind of randomly. Just, um, this isn't, um, well, th this isn't to say that, like, everything should be this way all of the time, but I'm just going to get into this very quick. Uh, okay, so the anime film, like, Perfect Blue, we all know what this mm -hmm. is, but for anyone who doesn't, oh, yeah. yes, Toshi Khan, in, in, in a 1997, released this amazing film about uh, an idol who goes through, like, an identity crisis and then is subsequently sort of thrown into the, the deep end of a psychological horror thriller uh, plot, and it's very, very creepy, very scary, has some violent uh, scenes in it. Yeah, it's very, really cool. But in terms of um, <clears throat> the, the cosmic horror that we've been discussing, like, that film it kind of encapsulated like what it is that cosmic horror kind of like felt to me in one sense in the fact that like mm. it was getting at a different version of of a, of a cosmic horror that we all can deal with today i think um the cosmic horror that exists uh, when you sort of stare at the internet right and when you when you realize what it is mm -hmm. when you realize that like there are you know the possibilities of millions of people watching you all of the time that you don't know or that you don't you know that, that you've never met before but like they know all about you and like they've seen you before and like they pause pictures of your face and like they've got download they've got your voice like downloaded and like they know you do you know what i mean but you don't know them like the fact that like that existed at a time where the internet in and of itself was not at that stage properly yet but it was just getting there and how, obviously now with the rise of you know twitch with the absolute explosion that is k-pop and like the fanaticism and stands surrounding that all of these things that have occurred in reality and in real life and how it is that you know a film from again the the late uh, 90s um was able to come to the forefront i think it's really really interesting to hear about and think about that in terms of the sort of almost uh, prophetic vision that it had in terms of you know being able to sort of see what it is that was actually you know going to occur in a sense but also again how that can relate to what it is that we're talking about right like those feelings that we've had in games those moments that we've had while we're playing something where it's kind of like you stare at the abyss and the abyss stares back do you know what i mean it's it's that it's mm -hmm. that feeling of knowing that like okay i'm gonna do this in this game in this moment and this game here it's gonna mess me up for example, another one, just very sort of silly, trying to play versus a really hard-to-beat AI in a fighting game. It can be frustrating, but it can also be scary. Because, again, like, sometimes it feels as if you're playing against an actual person who's just, like, messing you up. But then you realize, no, it's not an actual person. You play, you're playing and being soundly beaten by, a, by, a, by an AI system. You, it, it's figuring out what it is that you are trying to do to it. And it's doing that to you and worse. It's punishing all of your moves. It's powering all of your setups. It's throwing you. It's blocking you. It's doing all these things. And I think that there's something very almost um, primal in a sense that it alerts within us when we react to things that we don't understand. And I think it's really cool that we can have those moments, those scary, creepy moments in so many different other genres, but they're all based around the, the, the abilities that we've given the technology 
like itself do you know what i mean like that's what i find really really interesting here so yeah i just wanted to mention that film because it kind of like it, it uh, portrayed it very well to me i think but yeah th- i think oh, what it is that we're talking about kind of it overlaps and crosses into that and also uh, an excuse to mention perfect blue because it's one of my favorite movies but hey i gotta take it you know what i mean yeah <laughs> i love the film like yeah. uh I mean, I, I, I also, this is one of the few films I made a video on. It's a very good selection, uh, very good, like, choice there because of what you said. And when it's like this, this idea of, like, eldritch, uh, unfathomable entities that control us all. But in this case, it is, like, the hive mind that we, are, we have created ourselves, you know? Like, becoming uh, an entity of its own that has us all in the grips and how it can completely spiral out of control. And the way it, and the way it's done in Perfect Blue is just perfect. <laughs> it's like un, unrivaled. Absolutely, uh-huh. absolutely. Yeah, I think also as well, like just in terms of that, like unrivaled, like ness, I suppose, just in its unique, its singular uniqueness. I think, uh, yeah, like <laughs> it's not only just that it allows for things like that to stand the test of time, but again, it's uh, it's accessible from like it's almost, I almost said it's backward compatible, <laughs> just in terms of how much I'm thinking about games. But um, yeah, like we can relate to it now, but we can also like, do you know what I mean? That like, we can see moments from the past, like in it. But we can relate to those moments do you know what i mean like we don't always know and understand everything that a character goes through in a film or in a game or in anything but there are moments where they speak to us very specifically and i think that this uh this movie and like the sentiment it espouses that exists within multiple games and i think that it's a really cool sort of like triangle that it pulls in together yeah beautiful said. yeah thank you thank you very much <laughs> awesome awesome I gotta know though, I do have to know, because it is pretty cold out here and we are still just out here chilling. Like, I do have to know, man, uh, what are, okay, so we already did speak about a couple of other spooky games and stuff like that, but just in general, any kind of like game dev or spooky horror stories or anything just general, generally related to these subjects, what's anyone got? Because I got, I got a hankering for a little spooky story a little bit. More story. I have one more story to, to share okay. that I've always wanted to tell. Um, and it is, uh, once again, it, it is probably one of... Hmm, it's probably the moment I got the most scared in a video game, but it is actually not in a, in a horror video game at all. And um, it, will be, it will be an honor to, to, to tell that story finally to the public. Oh, we'd love Absolutely. to hear it. Um, oh, right. Okay. It happened it. in the game Elite Dangerous which is a space simulation. It's like, uh, you have your own, like, for anyone who doesn't know the game, it's basically like an, like an open world um, kind of MMO space simulation where you have um, a spaceship, you um, are docked in different um, space stations, and you can do all kinds of things. It's a, it's a little bit like EVE Online, just that you fly from the first-person perspective, very immersive too, wonderful game in VR. Um, and in these kinds of games where you can, for instance, you, become, you can become a fighter, can become a pilot, mm, participate in wars, uh, but in this game you can also be a miner, a trader, a whatever you want. Yeah? And I um, started uh, playing this game and played like for 20 hours and really exclusively focused on being a trader. So I would take my ship and I would uh, see where can I get resources for cheap, um, would fly over there, you know, like f- fill up my uh, fill up my fuel and, and 
fly across multiple um, multiple solar systems to that station where a certain resource is currently cheap, and then I fly over somewhere else where it's like expensive, and you have to plan your routes and everything. And in this game, it's like, okay, if you die, then your ship is gone, and everything that is on your ship is gone, and um, I'm not sure if you keep the money that is on your account. It's been a while, and I also want to say, like, when I tell the story, there might be certain inaccuracies. I did not uh, bother in a long while to, to look up the facts, so I, I might, I might uh, smear reality there a little <laughs> bit, but... So eventually, uh, um, I was building up a little bit of a fortune to to buy the next class of ship, and it's quite expensive. It takes quite a little bit of work and grinding. Um, and then I saw that there was a planet that sold uh, that that bought the resource that I could just get on the station I was at the moment for a very high price, but it was a little bit far away and might have just reached it within with my um with my fuel um capacity of my current ship and i was like you know what let's do it because if i do it then i have everything i want and then i started flying and doing like jump jump to jump from different uh, solar systems always wonderfully animated and then two-thirds of the way i jump out of a uh, hyperspace travel into a solar system and suddenly get attacked by pirates um, they come out of nowhere and uh, I'm not a fighter I, I have like maybe one cannon on board and they're like four ships and they're like much more um, well armed than me they, they, they're you know I'm outgunned outnumbered so I kind of tailed it and tried to make it so that I could do get to the point where I do the hyperspace jump to the next system before they crash my ship but that meant I had to use my booster and I had to use a lot of fuel and I just ever so slightly escaped with like my ship almost completely demolished um, and then I arrived at the next solar system there's no space station there in, in range the next space station in range is really the one where I like my final goal and then I realized because of my evasive maneuvers and everything my fuel calculations suddenly don't match up anymore. And I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, what, what, what am I going to do? I can't go forth, I can't go back, because there are the pirates, and they luckily didn't follow me. And I just tried, and I realized, no, this is, this is not going to check out. My fuel is getting lower and lower, and if your fuel is out, you'll suffocate out there in space. Pretty scary. Um, and then I was at a point where my fuel got really, until like... I don't know, 1%, 2%, the last scratch, where I was like, this is, what am I going to do here? And I pressed escape, went into the pause menu. That means the game is literally currently paused until you get back in. Um, and I was like, I, I, I've worked so long, and we, we were back to this permadeath element, right? So it's not like my character is gone, Everything I've worked for would be gone if I if I die at that point, right? So there is this high stakes element we talked about, and I started looking in the in the, in the internet. Like, is there any kind of trick to get me out of a situation where my fuel is low? And I stumbled upon something <laughs> that I didn't expect. There was a group of people, of literally people playing this game, that called themselves the Fuel Rats. The Fuel Rats is like a group of people that literally have an IRC server, um, 
for anyone who still remembers IRC, that's basically what Discord is today. Like you have like chat rooms and different servers with different themes and everything. Everybody can open an IRC channel and you have different chat rooms in there. They had an IRC channel. And I hadn't installed IRC in, a, in over a decade or something. So I installed it and I was like, you know what, let's, let's hop in there. Um, because their service was, hey, if you're playing Elite Dangerous and you're stuck and you're out of fuel, we come and we'll save you. What? And I went into this IRC oh, wow. channel, a couple people in there talking, and I was like, hey, hey guys. And I was like, oh, newbie here. I was like, yes. Um, so I just stumbled upon this and um, do, do you really do that? Do you really come over and... And they're like, yep, that's what we do. That that's our service. And we, we chat a little bit. And he's and they immediately went through a protocol and be like, all right, he, here's the list of things of information you got to give us. Uh, which star system are you on? Please describe as closely as possible where within the star system you are located. Um, please describe the type of your ship. Please describe the rough amount of fuel you have left, and so on and so forth. And give us like the, I think you had to give them like a uh, like a server. Um, server info so that they knew they were on yeah. the right uh, servers or whatever. And then they talked me through things, right? And um, then a couple of people volunteer and be like, yep, I'm, I'm relatively close. I can be there in like 10 minutes or so. Yeah, and another one is like, I can be there in like seven or so. And uh, then they talked me through the steps, what's gonna happen. So they tried to really pinpoint where exactly in that uh, star system I was. And the people flew in. And they said, like, oh, I'm, I'm in place now. And then they talk me through and be like, okay, when it happens, do not waste any second. We synchronize everything um, with commands here in IRC. And you, you press escape at that point, And then you see, um, eventually, there's an incoming fuel transmission. And you have to uh, go into this menu and then uh, go into this submenu to accept it. And they talk me through all the steps, right? And um, I was like, it's I can't believe that this is happening right now, right? There's literally people who come to save you when you're stuck with uh, with your ship being almost out of fuel. So we went in, they did a countdown, and um, I literally had like, I don't know, 25 seconds, you know, I'm, I'm guessing, right? 25 seconds of fuel left. Oh, my God. Um, and the moment I relaunched my game, I saw two ships suddenly appear, one from the front left, one from the front right. They literally were hovering right in front of me. Um, it took like a couple of seconds until it was like, and there was a countdown there, how long the fuel would last. It was like counting down the seconds. Uh, it was down to 15 or so, and then suddenly the fuel translation, uh, the fuel transaction comes in. So I'm, I'm like really, my, my hand is shaking in that moment. Like, I, because there's people who depend on me, who take, who put their time in it. I don't want to lose everything. So my hand is really shaking. I'm like, um, going into the submenus, accepting the fuel transit. Six seconds left, right? I'm like, holy, what's going on here? The countdown goes further down. Five, four, fuel translation doesn't start. Three, two, one, zero. Well, okay, fuel is out and uh, oxygen is out. So I'm not dead yet because no. the game has really programmed it in that you still have oxygen in your lungs. Your system says <laughs> you have nothing left. But you can suddenly start hearing your character breathe. The the, the view uh, the the view cone starts be like being blurry on the outside and like the the, the glass. I'm not sure if I misremember that, but it feels like your vision is starting starting to freeze and 
it's starting to do the, like this constricted breathing, like, and it's like, oh my God, what's happening? And then suddenly I hear like a beep, uh, like fuel transmission incoming, the lights in the cabin go back on, my character breathes, and oh. the fuel, uh, the fuel indicator is like slowly fueling up, and I'm like saved in that moment. I that was probably the most intense moment wow. in video gaming ever, and I was wow. so scared, and it was not a horror game. <laughs> wow. And it was wow. beautiful. And so big shout out to the fuel rats who, like, I don't know, six years ago saved me in Elite Dangerous. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> wow. That's, that's amazing. Really awesome. Yeah. Wow. That, that's one of the best, like, emergent uh, gameplay stories I've ever heard. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm so happy that I could finally share this. Like I've I've never told this story in public, and it's so damn true. That's so cool. We got a that's, world premiere, not, everybody. Like amazing. It's not, <laughs> it's not exactly the same thing, but it actually reminds me also of all these different people in different communities that go out of their way to add a different layer to games. This, this like this is not a, it, the same thing at all. But I used to work on a um, a game way back. This is sort of a development story. Called it was called Foo Pets, but the general idea was that you were taking care of these realistically rendered dogs and cats and you had to feed them and give them water and stuff. And they had like a permalink where they existed. Like they literally had a physical like virtual room. And that was pretty much the whole game was just to take care of the, the pet. And there was actually a very large community because what, what happened was, and this is kind of sad, players would get bored of the game and they would just stop playing. Except that the, the game wouldn't like it wouldn't ever kill the pet, but, you know, the, the pets would get sad if you didn't feed them over time, if they didn't get watered and stuff like that. Mm. And, and eventually they would start getting really, like, really depressed and whatever. So there was a whole community. They kept spreadsheets and spreadsheets of abandoned animals. And they would go through oh. every day and go on to each one of the ones that people no longer were feeding. That and they'd is feed amazing. them and play with them. And it's just, it reminded me exactly of that thing. There's so many types of things where the community around a game, something that was never intended as part of the gameplay loop or part of the experience. And remember as developers, we were like, you know, sitting there, like just looking at this and being like, do we, su do we support them? Do we add tools? Do we just let this, this emergent, like secondary gameplay loop happen? And I, I think we ended up not really doing anything uh, like ultimately about it. Like um, obviously our community team would reach out to them and uh, highlight them and uh, occasionally like you know do things like retweet them or whatever but the, the thing you were talking about is the same kind of thing where people first of all are some people are just really ready to help but just this idea that they found a different way to play the game to enrich other people's experiences um, and, and to your point it adds this emergent gameplay um, that uh, can can really add the, this like reality to an experience that the game just couldn't yeah. deliver intentionally. It really turns this 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 virtual game world into an into an into a living, breathing reality, right? Like that there is like a, I find this incredibly fascinating, and this is a really cool example too. So I, I could see myself doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, that's the one. That's one of the coolest things about all of these experiences that we've discussed out here tonight it's just the fact that like we have these moments within games that are able to affect not just us but other groups of people for example just to harken back to your last story those fuel rats like they didn't have to exist 
like they exist because like they've been in a similar situation and they all came together to be like hey we're gonna do this for somebody else so like that's that's one of the coolest things about this it's the uh it's the empathy within that and it's also just the the teamwork and it's the it's a cooperation it's all of it it's really interesting that we find these answers to problems that exist within not just games but within life do you know what i mean that's a community of people who exist to quite expressly refuel other people and they help them out in their times of need and one, when and you just, were able just, to just real quick there uh, as you said, this is this is exactly the point because I asked at the end. So what do I owe you for this? And they're like nothing. Well, all you, you know, you, your your smile is our biggest reward. Your life is our. It's like it's all oh. about the empathy. Just how you said. I just wanted to like they, they didn't charge anything for that. They didn't be like oh, give me give us fifty percent of your resources or whatever. No, it's it's just for the 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 thrill of it. Just for absolutely helping each other out and, and creating a, a a better world. Absolutely, I, I find <laughs> so to speak. it. Yeah, I find it quite fitting that on a on a cold night out here like this in this forest that we're talking about like the uh, the warmth of human empathy by the fire. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's one of those things where it's like you have to think about it. Like we're talking about horror, a thing intrinsic to what it is that we experience within the world. I've just been recently watching a bunch of videos on this uh, RSA feed on um, on YouTube, and uh, it's a channel called a uh, RSA Anime, I believe. But yeah, like they have this beautiful video. I'll drop it in for you guys later on. But they talk about a thing called the empathic civilization. So what do I mean by this? About um, okay, so there's a best-selling author and like a, a social and ethical prophet, uh, Jeremy Rifkin. <clears throat> who uh, investigates the evolution of empathy and the profound ways in which it shaped our development as a society and our, our, hum our human experience, basically. But uh, I was thinking about this recently because I remembered the quote, who I can't unfortunately quote this to anybody, but I just remembered. It's like, some people say that like humanity began when the first like Neanderthal looked after like the broken limb of like another Neanderthal. Do you know what I mean? And like they didn't do that for any reason other than to make sure that like the group would be okay and that everyone could work out all right. But also, just again, just to know, hey, I know how that feels. It's not good to be hurt. Let me help you out. And like just to see how that has been, you know, such a key foundational part of our development and growth as human beings just all throughout history in so many different ways so much so that we've learned from animals and animals have learned from us how to become more empathic and they've developed as well just because of that uh, attachment to empathy and their ability to change and form new group uh, alliances and form new systems of thinking and ways of uh, dividing and, and conquering and making all different kinds of things possible like I think it's really intriguing, really uh, intriguing to me that we uh, we're able to mix these uh, these feelings and thoughts and create actual tangible outcomes and goals out of them. And I think like, another good thing about horror that everyone needs to understand who makes it or who experiences it, it's always based in the empathic realm. It's always based on I feel this way. How can I make someone else feel that way? Or how can I make someone else feel this way? And I think it's one of the mm -hmm. it's one of the coolest things. It's one of the most basic, you know, human emotions. Fear, the the notion of being scared, afraid of the dark as a child, afraid of being alone, afraid of losing someone as an adult, afraid of you know fear of failure. All of these different things and how it is that fear interacts with our daily life, and how it is that we can actually attack it, or how it is that we can cope with it or deal with it. It's incredibly intriguing to me, and I think the games are an excellent medium to explore these themes through. So I'm glad that we've got to have this discussion today. It's been a ton of fun. 
Random Art Eater plug. There's a, uh, I did a Last of Us article on Art Eater about empathy. Um, and I think it relates to everything that you're talking about. That, uh, there, it's a very important concept in how humans survive together. Absolutely. I, yeah. I just want to say that that was a really beautiful closing statement. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that was, I think it's so awesome that we, we just did this, you know, the, the spooky Halloween uh, podcast and it, it, totally unplanned but, but I love that we arrived at the importance of empathy because I, I think that's absolutely true especially for, for horror yeah mm. beautiful jump play. scares eldritch gods empathy and animals all of it <laughs> I mean I think the, that's a, the, thing the is, main is, theme is deeply <laughs> empathetic and like yeah <laughs> well also the, the honestly the power of not feeling alone Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's definitely. Really important as well, for sure. Definitely. I think that's a that's a big part of why it is that Let's Plays became like so popular as well. I think is just the fact that like you know you you want to watch someone go through an experience and stuff like that, but then you also get to speak about it with people, you get to share it with people. Another thing about why streaming is so great because again you build not just um not just a, a fan base or whatever, but you build a community of people. You have people who are able to listen to you and what it is you're saying. The the listeners who will hear this sort of super spooky Halloween special, like the, those special people to us. Do you know what I mean? Like all of these people who we might not even you know know necessarily, but we're able to share mm -hmm. something with them, and they're able to share something with us, and they'll have different interpretations of what I've said and what Ragnar said and what James has said and what Sean might have said might have really you know like resonated with someone, or Richmond might have said something that really sticks sticks in someone's mind. Like a year from now, they'll remember it. And say, oh wow i really remember that thing and yeah like that's the coolest thing about any of this to me i think it's just really cool that we're able to reach through the internet reach through our screens and make these really cool uh connections with people and these pathways that you know funnily enough again uh, even um hideo kojima in all of the sort of death stranding hype was talking about the social strand system in the in the in, in death stranding and how it is that so much of that game was predicated and focused on the idea of human interaction and connection and the ability to build links between not just places in you know the uh, dystopian us but uh, within each other and within our emotions and stuff but i think it's really interesting just again to speak about this because randomly i'm gonna just go into it very quickly this is a bit real but yeah it's just the fact that like uh with regards to ragnar having like, been in the internet for so long stuff like that a very similar thing happened with it is that how how with how within how it is that we met on the internet initially very similar to how richmond and i met we kind of didn't again mm -hmm. you don't plan to meet anybody but you kind of just you are just being yourself on the internet and then yeah you just kind of cross paths and then you bump heads and then yeah you can become friends over time and stuff but i think it's super cool just to think about the fact that like me for example i am someone who likes to speak about a variety of different topics online on the, on the internet but i speak very specifically in some areas about like politics about games about different areas of creativity right. but like that resonated with ragnar i, I think and then that's how it is that we became like friends and stuff like that and that empathy that ability to connect that ability to communicate and stuff like that that's a big part of how it is that this project occurred i wanted to do a super cool special with the people and i was like hey what if i made this happen and made that happen and it's just it's been an absolute pleasure to really get this thing that's been in my mind and to help bring it to reality and again i couldn't have done this without any of you guys being here so yeah i think this is this is a really good like it's a proper like re earth special do you know what i mean so it's a team commitment and everyone's come through and done great so yeah feel good about it ah uh -huh. uh, thanks adam wonderful well, yeah 
thanks for putting, you know, thanks for, for being the driving force behind this one. Yeah, yeah by all yeah. means, it's been, a, it's, been, it's been a pleasure for sure. It's been a pleasure. Especially, it's kind of funny as well, because, like, it's like, you don't, you, you don't necessarily, like, mean to make these things happen, but they kind of do. It's like, it's like what I was saying about how Ragnar and I met we, on Twitter and stuff like that. Just, I think I've, I must have just been like, sometimes I kind of, I kind of argue with people a little bit. But sometimes I think I was like arguing with someone, and then I think you hit me up, just like, oh hey, like, yeah, I agree with that. Oh yeah, I agree with this. Like yeah, cool. And then like stuff just happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you don't, you don't make it happen, but it does. And yeah, that's the, that's the nature of the fuel rats. You know what I mean? It's like it's how it is. Uh, I, they I think I was basically just, I was basically just saying something like. Uh, if you ever if you ever feel alone against someone like dogpiling you on Twitter, like I'll, I'll be there. Like I I appreciate what you're doing and you're not doing it alone. I just want to send out the the signal to be like you're not alone in this, you know. And and yeah. I never regret just reaching out because it felt felt kind of weird in a way, you know. Like it could have mm. been like that you would be like, mate, what, why why are you writing me like this? Like why are you slipping my DMs or whatever? Mm. It's, it's like no no, dude, you're not alone. You know, yeah. that's all I wanted to say. And here we are having a wonderful uh, I know. parasocial uh, <laughs> campfire. So yeah. it's it all worked out in the end, you know. Yeah. Mad. It's, it's it's like you were you were like the fuel rat for me on that on that time. Like yeah, you you, like, <laughs> you, you came you came through, and like I didn't even uh, know it was gonna happen. And then I was oh, running really? on empty, and then you came through, and you were like, hey, you need fuel, and I was like, whoa, I'll I'll take some fuel, <laughs> Ragnar. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. Awesome. That's great. Alright. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, it's kind of cold out here for real, and the fire's kind of dying down like a little bit. I'm going to stoke you back up just a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, I think... Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I just kind of forgot, actually. But, Richmond, you were talking about this, like, stag, right? Wait, did you see that yeah. again? Or? Yeah, I will... I, so, I I don't know. I, I just woke up one day. I had this vision of uh, this this white stag, and I, I just had to... Wait, wait, wait. Shh, shh. Wait, do you guys hear that? Oh my god, wait, yeah. wait, shh, wait. Do, do you hear? What? Nothing. Nothing. The forest is silent. Oh, oh my goodness. There's a light. There's a light coming this way. Oh my god. What is this? Oh, what? I can see it. <gasps> Whoa, what there is it, is. Is, is, there is, it is. is. This is it. It's the white stag. This is this is what I've oh. been... Oh, it's what I've been dreaming of. This oh, why wow. I, it's, it's why I've been wandering these woods. <gasps> That's oh my god, go get it, go get it, go get it. It's it's approaching. Oh it's... my god. Sons of Nimrod, I am the lucent heart of the primeval forest. Your calm hearts and clear minds have called me forth through the power of amity and compassion. State the fondest wish cradled deep within your bosom, and it shall come to be. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh my god. Oh, it I spoke think, to uh, us. Whoa, whoa, it wow. spoke. I think, I think it's going to give us a wish. We oh, can, no way. We can ask for anything we want. Oh, uh, my uh, God. We, we, we can a have wish. Uh, world peace. We could have... Uh, we could <sighs> end. And, uh, this is a lot. Global warming. I don't know. I wonder so, what we could... What could we do? Like, could we... Uh, I want to bring something back or something. I don't know. Like, what should we get? I got it. I'd like a Coke, please. <laughs> I think Sean, Sean, can you can you help help our buddy out there? Okay. Yep. Yep. Here okay. you go. I got. I got. I got. Wish fulfilled. I have the coke. Don't worry. You got okay. it. No, no, no. That, no, that wasn't our wish. That wasn't our wish. That wasn't it. Okay. 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 Here you go. Okay. Yeah. I got. 
let's bring back Darkstalkers. Yes. As a high bit 2D pixel art game. <laughs> let's bring back the original art crew and, and, and a lot of young new animators too. Right? Yes. 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 Right, cool. Cool. Right, okay. Wait, wait. Did, did, fine with me. I was gonna say, did did the stock get that though? Okay. 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 Um, some somebody tell him the wish tell, very clearly. We don't want some monkey's paw situation. It's got to be. Uh, okay. Cool. I'll like do. I'll exactly, do. <laughs> totally unambiguous. Okay. Okay. I got it. I got it. I got it. Uh, great white stag. I humbly approach thee. All right. May we please have. A new installation of Darkstalkers, the fighting game initially created by Capcom in the 90s. Here we have a new one, and please may it be absolutely amazing, full of beautiful hybrid pixel art, amazing work done by both new and old developers, and with a badass soundtrack and a remastered version of the Fetus of God stage. Thank you very much. Amen. Oh, Amen. It's beautiful. As you wish. It shall be. Chris Kraft will play Mario in the new official Super Mario Brothers movie. Farewell, refugees of people. May you walk in peace. Wait, what? Oh my god, what? it didn't what? listen to no. me. No! No! no. no. Oh my god. No, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that doesn't happen. Oh my god. Oh man. No, no, this is just sp it's spooky. We can't We're do just. This. No, he's just trying to scare us. Wait, no, no, he's, no, turning, absolutely. Around. he's turning around. Is it? Okay, how about this? Charlie Day will also play Luigi. Are you happy? No, oh my, is it a Halloween no. special? That's, that's not that. I don't know. That's a, I mean, I he is like kind Charlie. of cool, but... Yeah. Uh, I guess I can see okay. it, but... Uh. Okay. This is, this is... Wow. What, what a I night. about Jack Black? Could we get Jack Black, maybe? That would seal it. Okay, I think I could go, I could go for Jack Black. Yeah, Jack I, 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 I can Maybe. rock with Jack Black. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. It's as you wish. Fare thee well, progeny of Hugh and Megai. Okay. And just like it's that, gone. it disappeared. It's gone. <laughs> oh wow. my gosh. That was Damn. the most beautiful moment of my life. I, I, I can't believe that happened. Damn. <laughs> and it blew the fire out as well. I mean... Oof, man! What a Oof. what a what a mystical creature that was. Amazing. All right, I guess um, that's that's it for today's podcast. That was uh, this was the most fun, <laughs> one of the most fun sessions we've had yet. So, um, I guess uh, we'll, we'll we'll wrap things up. Um, yeah. yeah uh, so I'll, I'll I'll give the outro, and then everyone, please uh, let let all the listeners know um, you know how to follow you, what you've been up to. So uh, I'll I'll just quickly uh, wrap things up. So. Uh, yeah, if you're listening, thank you so much for listening, following uh, you know, along all the way to the end here. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, uh, you, you can uh, catch up on all our old podcasts at arteater.com. Uh, That's A-R-T-E-A-T-E-R.com. Uh, just click on the podcast se section, and um, yeah, uh, all, all the old ones are up there. Hopefully, we're on every platform that you like to listen to podcasts. Uh, and if you want to keep up with uh, upcoming uh, podcasts, just uh, find us on Twitter. We're at art eater podcast uh, so at a-r-t-e-a-t-e-r -E -E podcast um yeah and i'm, I'm your host richmond uh, you can follow me on twitter at richmond lee uh, that's r-i-c-h-m-o-n-d uh, underscore l-e I'm, I'm i'm on there all the time um the founder of uh, uh art eater um i i 
you know, I love art and games, talk about this stuff all the time, got a, a background in animation. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm working on a really cool game right now called uh, Zaka Tactics. So you can follow that too on Twitter. That's a Z-E-C-H-A uh, Tactics. Um, yeah, so uh, that, that, that's it for me. Um, uh, special guest, Ragnar, please let, let everyone know uh, what, you're, what you're up to, how they can follow along. Cool. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for having me. Uh, out there in the woods, you yeah, saved my life. And second of all, it was a it was a really big pleasure. It was it was, it was real fun hanging out with you guys. Um, yeah, I'm Ragnar, and um, my I have a YouTube channel on YouTube. Surprise! Uh, it's called Ragnar Rocks with double R uh, and an X at the end. And um, there I focus primarily on video essays on old games, horror games, and indie games, and combinations of that. So if you want, check me out there, youtube.com slash, just, just search Ragnaroks with double R and X, and you'll, you'll find me. I don't have a link. Maybe you guys have a link. But anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening, and thanks thanks for having me. It was, it was lovely. Uh, yeah. It's a pleasure it having you, man. Awesome having you. Yeah, definitely. All right, uh, AJ, or sorry, uh, our, our regular order, uh, Sean. <laughs> ah, yes. So I'm uh, Sean. I'm usually here by the campfire with my coffee. Uh, I'm a uh, UI UX designer, creative director for most of my career. Uh, now I lead design teams at NZXT. We are a PC gaming company. Uh, so if you follow me on Twitter at Daborsk, D-A-B-O-R-S-K, uh, I will mostly talk about fog walking. Uh, also games, uh, PC gaming, um, writing a lot of things. I'm writing a book right now, so I should be announcing that actually pretty soon. But uh, other things that you can also uh, look for, I've started a YouTube channel, not really for people to watch, but I still figure I would tell you people about it. It's called Divorced Plays Games. It's mostly because I'm trying to go uh, through on an empathy journey through streaming, um, something that we're starting to work a lot on NZXT and Streaming is such a big part of gaming, so I'm just trying to uh, both do live streaming and also do blind Let's Plays. I think those are a fun idea. So I'm working on a, a blind playthrough of the entire Halo series, which I've never done, as well as I'm playing through Enslaved, which was recommended by AJ as well. So check that out. And lastly, uh, I'm doing a lot of mentoring on adplist.org. Uh, so... I'm not the only one on there. Of course, it means amazing design people. So there's a lot of fantastic uh, designers, UI UX designers, animators, comic artists, uh, all sorts of different. So if there's, if you're trying to get into an art field or you're trying to get into design in some way, it's a great place to start. Uh, there's no charge. It's entirely free. Um, and everybody on there is just giving their time as well. So there's really no marketplace right now. It's just a, a matter of finding people. And you can get portfolio reviews. You can get just advice you can ask questions you can do test interviews there's all sorts of things so it's a it's a great resource um so that is that is me um i also uh, of course uh, edit the podcast so uh if you have any comments about the the sound quality or uh our production values let me know on twitter uh anyway that's me oh thanks so much Sean. you're gonna have a heck of a time with this one huh? <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I'm James Stanley. Uh, I actually am a content creator for Art Eater, as well as a storyboard artist, character designer, and creative director for 
uh, Aerial Raver, which is a, a game I'm actually working on. I'll be talking about that more in the future. Ooh. If you want to see uh, updates or any information on that, uh, you can actually follow me on Twitter at Beefy underscore Kunoichi. That's B-E-E-F-Y underscore K-U-N-O-I-C-H-I. Um, you know, like I said, you'll be seeing a lot of updates and stuff on that, as well as my other projects, Part-Time Shuffle. And uh, just me ranting about fighting games that I like and, uh, you know, anything that's within that realm of, like, actual cool things and things that I retweet. So, uh, you know, yeah, you want to check me out there? Just check me out there. <laughs> yeah, definitely do that as well. He's always posting really cool stuff. So, yeah, hit that up. Thank well, yeah, um, oh, always, brother. Yeah, hey everybody, uh, it's Adam. Uh, pleased to be here once again. I also go by AJ or AJ on Twitter. Uh, it's your friendly neighborhood game level designer, also a pixel artist, and also international taekwondo fighter. Uh, I go by AJ on Twitter, like I just said, so you can follow me over there at AJ Mattis. That's a A J M A T T I S. Uh, I love to share and retweet all kinds of cool art and other creative projects that I see. If anyone wants or needs any help that's pixel art related or anything else regarding some work, I'm, act I'm actually active at the moment. So please do get in touch. I'm working on a couple of cool projects as well as a couple of my own. Things are looking really good on that. So I'm very excited. Uh, if you would like to, if, if you did like anything that I have said today, or if you're interested in hearing me say some more of it in online format, you can drop me a follow over there. And uh, yeah, take care everybody, stay safe, and we will see you next time because this was rad. Once again, thanks to Ragnar as well. Couldn't do this without you, so thanks a bunch. Halloween special ended. <laughs> Bye. Peace out, guys. Bye. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> oh, right. my goodness. Fog walking away. All right. Take care, yeah. guys. The Art Eater Podcast, your new favorite podcast discussing games, anime, music, and more through the eyes of artists, developers, creators, and various industry guests. <laughs>